This is Matt Brown, and you're listening to Just a Good Conversation. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde have nothing on Chad Cordero. Quiet and sweet with a soft spot for Twinkies. And then he walks onto the baseball field and all hell breaks loose. Chad Cordero is one of the greatest players to ever wear a Cal State Fullerton uniform. And after seven years of playing Major League Baseball and becoming the second youngest player to reach 100 saves, it all came to a crashing halt in a blink of an eye. His life is full of, I didn't think that was going to happen. And I remember Horton used to always compare me to Clark Kent and Superman um, all the time. And so, which was which was actually a, a, a really good comparison because, you know, Clark Kent, very unassuming, couldn't tell him apart from anybody else. But once he puts on that costume, it's like a totally different person. And that's how kind of I was. The minute I put on my uniform and the minute I stepped on that mound, um, it, I felt different. I felt like I was somebody somebody else. And I think that's what really what, what Serrano saw. I'm Matt Brown, host of Just a Good Conversation. Take a listen to our archives. My guests have ranged from authors and screenwriters, Hall of Fame basketball players, and Texas State photographer, Wyman Menzer. I remember the first digital image. It was a, it was a, a scanned 35 millimeter slide and I got a, a request from a magazine in France. And so I, uh, I scanned this image and, uh, and sent it to them. And they received it and paid me. And I'm going, wow, man, this is a dawning of a new day. I still have my image. I got paid. And my image is in good shape. The rest of my conversation with Wyman can be found on our archives at justagoodconversation.com. Let's take a quick break for a sponsor before diving into my conversation with Chad Cordero. I get to sit and talk to a man who has has just sprung some news on the world today. I'm on <laughs> Facebook. I've been chasing you for a couple of weeks. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're going back to the islands with Suzuki. How in the hell are you, Chad? <laughs> you know what? I am doing very well. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you are. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, I, I'm glad we were able to catch up. I haven't I haven't seen you in forever. And when I saw that on Facebook, I was like, damn good for you, man. Going to Hawaii. Or in Hawaii. Yep. Jesus. Yep. So for I I love the best part of my podcast, and I say this is my research. And I've known you for over twenty years. Can you believe that? I, you know what, it doesn't, it doesn't even seem like it, like it's been that long. But, okay, so this, um, is, this is where I felt old. When I looked and I was like, you're 40? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. You know what, I was, I was actually just thinking about that the other day. I'm like, gosh, it's been, shoot, 20, 21 years since, uh, since I was a freshman at, at Fullerton. I was just thinking about that, I think it was like Monday or Tuesday. It's crazy <laughs> to me. Does it seem like it went fast or was there such a roller coaster in between those twenty years? Mm-hmm. Now no, you look at it, it's it seems like it's it's gone by way too quick. Um, I know everybody says by or says that you know life goes by quick and you know, don't miss anything, but um, I didn't really think about it like like that too much until it actually happened. You know, like I said, twenty twenty one years later, and um, I'm forty one years old or forty years old now. So um, it, it it has gone by quick. Um, there were times, obviously, that that had that did seem like it was going a lot a lot slower, but I mean, 21, 21 years since my since my freshman year and playing Stanford and going to Miami at when when I was at Fullerton, it's, 
It's crazy. Uh, so you posted something the other day, and I'm like, I've got, we've got to talk about this. So you're born and raised in California, correct? Yep. Yep. You posted, or somebody posted, the photo of you in your Chino Hills baseball uniform that's like that orange, <laughs> and your pants are up to your knees, and yep. your, your mullet's in full effect. Like, were, <laughs> were you always a baseball guy? Is, was baseball in your household? Yes, it was. It was baseball was was nonstop. I mean, um, baseball and actually softball. I grew, I grew up around um, around slow pitch softball. My 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 parent, both my parents played it. Um, my grandpa, on my mom's side, played it until he was about seventy five years old. So, um, so really, uh-huh. oh yeah, he was he was playing in the in the senior leagues, going to Vegas all the time, playing. Damn, he's until, got good and, knees. Yep, until <laughs> until the doctors told him that he wasn't able to do it more he, anymore. He was out there playing. And I, and I think there were guys on his team that were that were a lot older, older than him playing on it too. So, um, but yeah, so it's baseball has been part of part of my life um, since the get go. I remember my my, my first league organized league that I played in was was a league called uh, ice, ice Cream Baseball out here in Chino, and that was ran by the Chino, the Chino Recreation. Um, and uh, my aunt Bonnie and my, and my aunt Nancy were 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 two of the. Uh, the leaders that, that ran it, um, for the, for the city. And I think I liked, I enjoyed, uh, going, playing over there so much because we played baseball in the Raptors. We got a, we got an ice cream in those old, uh, those mini baseball helmets. <laughs> so I think that's what kept me going. <laughs> was there, was there ever a dabble in like soccer or basketball, football, anything for you? Oh yeah. Grow, growing up, I, I never played baseball year round until, um, I was in high school. Um, my, my parents didn't really believe in that in which I am so happy that I, that I never did. So basically what my year consisted of was fall, fall time was, it was soccer. Once soccer was done, went straight into basketball and basketball went into baseball. And then I had the entire summer off to be a kid. Um, and I enjoyed that. I, th- I think it helped me out. I think it helped me be a, um, a better, a better, more rounded athlete. And it also allowed me to, to, enjoy the game a lot more than, than I, if I, than if I was playing year round, I think if I was playing year round, I probably would have got burnt out. Right. Um, and plus, you know, allow being able to still go out and uh, go on camping trips with, with my, with my family during the summers, going to giants games every, every year in San Francisco was, was a blast. I mean, that's the sad thing now is you have kids locked up in travel ball and like 11 months out of the year, they're all over the country playing baseball. Yep. Exactly. And they, and they never know how to swing a tennis racket or dive into a pool or play rec league basketball. Like they're, they're just wearing stirrups all year long. Yeah. Or, or just be a kid, you know, and know what it's like to go ride your bikes for like two hours around the city that you, that you live in. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't see, you don't see kids doing that anymore. You don't see kids playing different sports. It's from the time they're like 10 years old, they're, they're locked in on, on one sport. And it's kind of sad. Did, did you find pitching or did it was kind of was it by accident? Where like, um, I think I'd always I had always enjoyed pitching. Um, I had pitched from basically from a time I was able to when I was hold of the nine I think it was eight or nine years old. Um, but I was I didn't pitch a whole lot. I also played first base and then all throughout high school I played outfield first base as well. So um, there are other there were other positions that I played, but pitching was just always my my best one. I I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed being in control. Um, which is weird because that's not my personality like at all. Um, <laughs> so, but I liked, I, you know, I liked being the, the center of attention when, when I, when I was out there on the mound, um, it made me feel good and it made me feel, um, like, on, like I was on top of everything. 
When did you start getting good at pitching? I was pretty much good from the get-go. I mean, I had, I had always thrown harder than, than all the uh, the kids growing up, um, which is weird because in the big leagues, I maybe threw 88 miles an hour, which wasn't very hard at all. Um, but, um, but growing up, I was one of the harder thrower, throwers, and um, and so I was I was always one of the, one of the best pitchers in in whatever in whatever league I, I was in, um, which uh, you know the the. Growing up, I would have played. I played little league, and I went into uh, pony ball when I was twelve, when I was thirteen. So both both leagues that I that I played in, I was I was one of the better pitchers, if not the best pitcher, um, in both those leagues. So um, I was always good, but I didn't realize just how good I was until I was until I got to college. I mean, did you feel? Did you go varsity as a freshman? Yeah, it, kind of. Yeah, I was going up and down. Um, like I I made the varsity team as a freshman. Um, the varsity team wasn't that great that year, and so the coach didn't want me to be a, to really be um, around that that atmosphere. So he had me kind of go up and down. I, I mean, I played mostly with with the freshman team that year, uh, my freshman year, and then my sophomore year is when I was on uh, varsity permanently. What do you think Dave saw? You know, in you in high school. You know what? I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> All right, I'll take note to self. Ask Dave, what the hell did he see in Mr. Cordero? <laughs> no, but I, th- I think he saw my mentality. Because um, if you if you know me off the field, I'm very quiet. I'm very reserved. I'm not very. I I could I I don't stand out very much. Um, but when I'm on the mound, I'm like I'm like a different person. And I remember Horton used to always compare me to Clark Kent and Superman um, all the time. And so which was which was actually a, a a really good comparison because you know Clark Kent very unassuming couldn't tell him apart from anybody else but once he puts on that costume it's like a totally different person and that's how kind of I was the minute I put on my uniform and the minute I stepped on that mound um it I felt different I felt like I was somebody somebody else and I think that's what really what what Serrano saw where do you think you got that to be honest I I really have no idea um was dad like that or mom like that not not really they're both they're both very very laid back people um i think it was just because i grew i grew up watching um watching sports i mean i was always watching this week in baseball every every saturday morning um and watch and watching all the uh all the all the uh, fox broadcasts every weekend in baseball and i think i just got it from watching those games and seeing the mentality that all the pitchers had growing up who did you watch and admire when you were watching those games Oh, question. Well, I learned I learned my slider from watching. Uh, who was it? It was Mike Hampton, of okay. all, uh, um, which was kind of random since he's a lefty and I'm a righty. But I remember um, watching him, and I think he was he was playing. For, who was he playing for? The Mets, I think it was at the time. Um, and I, I can't remember who or was it the Braves? It might have been the Braves. I can't remember. Um, but I remember he was he was pitching. They might have been. It was the Braves, and they're pitching um, at the. Uh, they're they're playing against the Mets. Um, and so I remember watching him, and he was talking. They had a little thing before the game talking about a slider, and that's that's really where I learned how to throw my slider was what was watching that. So um, I, I I enjoyed watching him, but I always I did always love watching Trevor Hoffman. I loved the way he went after um, hitters and just went went about his business. And I think that's kind of where I um, kind of got how how I was as a pitcher from. Yeah, because I I mean I, I said this before when I've had other guests on or, who are played. I would always ask like Dave or George and I'm like, Oh, who's coming? Who's next year? What are you, who are you looking at? And I remember 
Dave just saying, he's like, I think we got a shot. Some kid, local kid, he's he can make a difference. He can make a difference. <laughs> and sure enough, this loud, boisterous kid shows up in August of 2001. No, it would have been 2000. 2000, yeah. Yeah, for headshot day. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is the guy, huh? <laughs> what Do you remember what that body looked like as a freshman? Oh, what, what did it look like? It was very soft. I'll put it that way. I'll be nice to myself and just say I was very soft. Did you? I mean, I mean, obviously CrossFit wasn't even a thought, but like, oh yeah, were you obviously didn't spend hours in the weight room like Lorenzen? What was your, <laughs> what was your preparation going into college? Thinking like I'm going to Cal State Fullerton. They're a perennial <laughs> national champion. Mm-hmm. Should I maybe mix in a sit up once in a while or something? Or well, what, what did I do? I remember, oh, you know what I did? Because um, I remember hearing, and to me, it was they, were, they they sounded like horror stories. I remember hearing about all the or what they called Camp Hookie. Oh um, yes, yeah. So I was like, I got to do something. So I remember um, leading up le- leading up to it, like right after my American Legion um, season ended, I started. I, I did start running. I didn't really lift a whole lot. Um, um, but I did start running, which was very, very hard for me. But uh, <laughs> I would, I would jump the, I would jump the fence at the uh, at the high school where I, where I went to, and I would just, I would just run around the field for like an hour, and then that, that was my conditioning, and that's how I, that's how I try to get ready for the for the season. Did it, did it prepare for me for what we, what was in store with Camp Hookie? Heck no. <laughs> um, but, but if I didn't do anything at all, I think it would have been, would have been a lot worse. If you'd have spent four weeks with the Marines, it might have been a taste, but that's only, you know. I don't even know if that would have helped. <laughs> well, he has language that some of the Marines haven't heard of yet. So. <laughs> Which is kind of surprising. <laughs> uh, were, what was your expectations going in that freshman year, right? Like that team, they're, they're loaded. They got a bunch of guys coming back. I mean, were you thinking, I'm looking at the closing position, position, were you thinking maybe I'm a starter, a midweek guy? Like, what was your hope? Honestly, for me, I was just hoping for maybe like five innings tops. I didn't have too high of ex- expectations because for me, the way I saw it is I wasn't like a top recruit. You know, uh, that year they had what they called the Temecula Five and they had this, where they had um, Derek Merrill and um, mm-hmm. Kyle Boyer and a, a bunch, and a bunch of other guys. And we also had Wes Littleton coming in, and plus the guys that we had returning. We had Sarlos, we had John Smitty, and then even yeah. even Nunez too. So yeah, um, you know we. So I wasn't expecting a whole a whole lot of um, innings on the mound. I was just hoping for maybe maybe to crack it crack an inning here here or there. Um, was not expecting at all to be the closer from you know pr- from pretty much that Stanford ser- series on. Yeah, it's uh, it was a pretty. Cr- I mean, was that the year Sarlos threw the no hitter against Pacific? Uh, oh, when we beat them twenty seven to nothing. Yeah, yep, that was that same year. See, okay, tell me, tell me what you're thinking from a pitcher's point of view. I remember I, I covered the game, but I'm not asking you at that point. Like today, you look at it now. What are you thinking? Like, what does that look like for you as a freshman? Oh, that was you know that was nuts, um, and I remember. Which, but what was even crazier was the fact that he was our Sunday starter, yeah, not our Friday night guy. Which goes to show you just how just how good we, we were on 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 the on the mound that year. But for but to come in and see a guy like Sarlo still a no hitter and then we're winning twenty seven to nothing that was to me that was nuts. 
but I enjoyed it. I mean, I had a lot of really good resources to talk to talk to. Um, I wasn't a cocky kid. So the, so the upperclassmen, they, they really took to me and they helped me out a lot. And I, if it wasn't honestly, if it wasn't for Sarlos or, or Smitty, I don't know if I would have had the career that I had. Really? Really? They really took you that well? Yeah, they were they were great. You know, they helped me out. Smitty was the one who, who gave me the uh, the chief nickname that stuck uh-huh. and I, that I still go by to this day. Um, and but they were they were super nice and they were super welcoming. And I, and, um, and I didn't really you know, that's the only place I had really felt that because I remember when I got called up to the big leagues, nobody talked to me for the first two weeks, like not even the high, not how are you, not good job, nothing. Um, and so I'd always like, you know, it made me realize just how just how lucky I was and how good I had it my, my freshman year at, at Fullerton. I mean, okay, so I, I don't think I'll ever, and I don't think you'll ever see it, but like to throw a no-hitter, winning 27 to nothing. <laughs> and he did it on like less than 80 pitches. Yep. I mean, that <laughs> at some point you're like, oh, it's 11 nothing. If, if I... <laughs> If I give up a just a dinker, uh, no one George isn't coming out. Right. Like, oh, now it's fifteen, and then yep. you're sitting on the you're sitting in the dugout, and you're like, guys, uh, come on, I like I'm getting cold. Can you guys warm it up? Let's go. I mean, twenty four, twenty five, twenty six. Yep. I mean, you're just like, good lord. Yeah, it was it was nuts. And I remember we we kind of all like when it was happening, we didn't realize realize what exactly was happening until about maybe the sixth inning. Yeah, because everybody we, was scoring. Yeah, and we, and we didn't realize it because no, we didn't really check the scoreboard a, a whole lot. But if we did, we weren't looking at how many hits we had given up. We were looking at how many runs we had scored. Um, so nobody had really had really noticed it. And then, like I said, until about the sixth inning, and then we almost about killed Karofsky because I remember he, he came in and made an error um, <laughs> with two outs in the ninth inning. And I think yeah, where they had him, he was at second base and yeah. um, a, a ground ball, easy ground ball, and he just flat out missed it. And every, I, we were, we thought, okay, well, that's it. It's not going to happen anymore. And luckily, you know, um, Sarlos was was able to get one more out and stuff. But I remember the dugout was was about to, to kill Karofsky. That, 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 that. <laughs> I just thought it was weird that football felt like it was back. You're looking up at the scoreboard going, who missed the extra point? <laughs> like it was – so it's I, yeah, I always wanted to ask someone later who was in that uh-huh. dugout what it was like. Is it for me? It was very bizarre because yes. I was aware of the no hitter, but there were so many runs being scored. I'm like, and I'm shooting film at this point. I'm like, I'm going to run out of film. <laughs> Ryan Ermling doesn't need this many photos of us us beating the crap out of Pacific. Right, I know it was. You know, it was crazy. I remember. I think today, so to this day, that's still the only no hitter that I've ever, that I've ever been a part of. Um, so I've never been a part of a, a no hitter where we were the team where we won like two or three, nothing. That was, so that was the only one I've ever been a part of. So to have that happen when we're, when you're winning 27, nothing, it's like surreal. Yeah. Like, you don't even realize, like believe that, that that could even happen. Well, I mean, okay. Outside of that game, what other game have you been in where a team scored 20 runs? Oh, you know, gosh, it's, I don't even know if I've ever been a part of that. I think the closest we've been a was when we when in 2003 when we when we beat Texas 14 to 4. Okay. I think that was the closest one and and even that like, you know, I think we went down we were we went down for nothing after the top of the first and we came back I think we scored 10 runs in the bottom <laughs> of the first inning. Um and which was nuts because I mean that that was that that game was crazy because that was the first in time that Garrido had come back. Tech, we were both we were both ranked I think in the top 10. I think Texas might have been a little bit ahead of us. Yeah. Um I remember 
um, go, like thinking like after they scored scored those four, run, four runs, okay, well, we're, we're in, you know, it's going to be a long night for us possibly because they were over there. They were feeling good. They, you know, they were running their mouth a little bit. Their fans were running their mouths. And then we come, came back and um, scored 10 runs on the, you know, off their Friday night. <laughs> Friday night started in the first inning and knocked them out. I was like, okay, well, the, our, this team is pretty good then. Yeah, that's so bizarre. So bizarre. That it was such, <laughs> that was so crazy. Mm-hmm. Do you, when did you start to feel – you know, extremely comfortable at the D1 level? Oh, that's a good question. Um, probably, it's, honestly, it's probably after the Miami series. Okay. Um, I remember cause we, we went in there. I think we were ranked top number 13, I think, at the time, and they were ranked number one. Um, and going in there, play, beating them the way we did, and then me pitching the way I did, it was like, you know, I, I belong. Because Miami, you know, I grew up watching the College World Series, knowing how good Miami was. Yeah. Uh, you know, they went on to win the World Series that, that same year. Um, but I remember after that series, I was like, you know what? This I, I belong here now. So I remember there was there was a point in that I think it was game game two. And I think we were we were up by like like five or six runs. I think it was, and I remember I proceeded to load the bases with nobody out. And then I remember um, Serrano came out to talk to me, and then I struck out the next three hitters on nine straight pitches. <laughs> is that <laughs> all think, yep that was all. <laughs> so i think i was like okay well I, I you know what i am good i can do this i don't have to i don't have to be so nervous and i don't have to load the bases and you know and make hooky become even redder than he already is <laughs> i mean the team offensively like you know shane's hitting 380 mike mm-hmm. strauss hits 377 Stringfellow hits 345 like guys bacani's <laughs> hitting 330 cropsy's 330 i saw brett k the other day he's at 320 like there was <laughs> there was guys crushing it on that team yeah. crushing yeah, it, was, it was nuts and i remember you know what like the i remember the super regional when we put when we played mississippi state and we had two two straight games of a guy hitting three home runs in one game but was i think the I can't remember who did it first. It was either Rifkin or Rouse, but one of them hit three home runs a Friday night game, and then the next, then either Rifkin or Rouse, whoever it was, um, came and, and did the same thing the, the next day. And I was like, "This is this is like this is nuts." <laughs> I have never seen anything like that. Like there was a couple, there's a couple of things that happened in that 2001 year that I had never seen before. Yeah, it was it was pretty odd. So yeah. what was that? What was it like for you um, when we go to Omaha? <laughs> as a freshman that year like i mean you must have that must have just been like last year i was at prom and now i'm in omaha <laughs> <laughs> you know it was crazy but i enjoyed it and i um and i was so lucky you know like that i think that entire team was lucky because i mean we, we had a chance to play nebraska in their first ever called college world series game do you um, remember that, that stadium oh that my. was nuts i mean it, it felt like we were like we were playing in a football game that's how loud it was, and it's, if, if they were that loud for a for a baseball game, I, game I can't even imagine how how loud they were at you know at, at their football games when, oh. when when they were still really good. Yeah, uh, but you know it was it was awesome. I remember we were go, we were driving down from the from the hotel down over to Rosenblatt, and there we, we saw a big old painted N in the in the in the middle of the uh, in the middle of the street on the on the way to uh, on the way to the, the stadium and stuff. And I, this is this is crazy. And all we saw was with a sea of red and our little speck of blue. Oh yeah. Once once we got there, but you know what the fans. The fans, I'll give them credit. That the Nebraska fans—they were some of the nicest people that, that I had ever met. Um, you know, they were so welcoming 
uh, to us, even after we beat them. I remember um, they thought Louis Lamore was like a living legend because he was the one who kept beating all the uh, all the security to the uh, to the uh, beach balls that were getting thrown on the field. So yep. they loved him. They were like bowing to him in left field. So it was incredible. And I think wasn't he sporting a mustache? Yes, he was. Yes. <laughs> He had his. I think he, did he have long hair at the time? I think he might have cut it. Um, but yeah, he had he had his mustache and he had like a scruffy beard going on. Like he hadn't shaved in like three weeks. Um, yeah, he, he was he was a character. But he was awesome. Now, as great as you were on the mound that year, you're loaded with that team. You, I don't know if you know this. You led the team in hitting. <laughs> my one my one base hit against Miami. But but you you're one at bat. Mm-hmm. One at bat, one hit. That's a thousand. Yep. And what people don't realize is after that, after I got that base hit, I nearly tripped, tripped coming out of the batter's box. <laughs> I think I was so surprised that I, that I made contact. I, I, I swung at the very first pitch that I, that I saw. Got a base hit to left field, and I, and I think I forgot how to run because I literally <laughs> almost fell. <laughs> I think if the, third, if the left fielder had really wanted to, he probably could have thrown me out. He could have plucked you off. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, uh, when was the last hit you had before that? Um, it was it was over summer because I I had still hit. I mean, in in college and for my, for America, my American Legion team, I still I still hit a lot. I was like I was I played DH and um, first base or right field, so I hit. But it had been probably what eight or nine months since my my, my last official at bat. Okay, well, forever that two thousand one team. You're the leading you know leading batter. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and I, if, you know, I can, no one can ever take that away. From no, me. and I, when you get inducted into the Cal State Fullerton Hall of Fame as an individual, if it doesn't <laughs> have anything about your batting average, I'm going to be furious. <laughs> I don't care about your ERA and your Player of the Year awards, all that crap. <laughs> Thousand percent, baby. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> and I even, I even got a base hit against UCLA that year, but they had, but they but they called me out because um, they said I batted out of order. So, but I don't even think it went down as, a, as an official at bat. No, right. If you're out of order, it's you were just screwing around. What the? How did you get out yeah. of order? I don't. You know what? I have no idea. You were I, so, I think so excited. One, yeah. Well, I think Horton's the one who told me to go hit. So I don't know. I'm gonna blame it on him. Oh, he looked down the bench and saw. Oh, that guy's hitting a thousand. Put him in. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, no way. I'm putting in Richie Pedroza. No. <laughs> Kyle Boyer's a mess. <laughs> oh shit! So O two's a little goofy, or it, you know, it doesn't. It's not as hot, and it's after right. September eleventh. So we get we go up to Stanford and we played Fresno and Long Beach. It was the weirdest regionals because they started yeah. doing that very tight locational regional settings. Yep. But O three that year, and it's locked and loaded with all that talent, and I still think that team is. So much better than the 04 <laughs> team that wins. I, I still tell everybody that, but you know what? They just got right. We, they got hot and we didn't. That's right. That's all that matters. But if you yep. look at that pitching staff that you rolled with in 03, my God, <laughs> I'm shocked you even got any saves. Cause I mean, who was getting, who was, I mean, those guys were just dealing. Yeah, and the 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 weird part was like we had Ricky Romero, and he wasn't even one of our starters. I think he might have been like a midweek guy. Yeah, if, he was. Know, he, he was that LMU Pepperdine Tuesday game. Yep, yeah. and we, yeah, and and that's and that's you know what you know you have a pretty good staff when you have you know a future first rounder who's who's your Tuesday night guy. 
Yeah, but I, when I had Ricky on, he even said he's like I was terrified. <laughs> <laughs> he was. He, he he was he was a completely different kid um, after his freshman year. But you can see how oh, yeah. you can see it, the, all the potential and all the talent that he had. Yeah, there was there was massive growth, and yeah, you know that's what happens. He's he's around you guys, and that's gonna happen. I mean, <laughs> so I mean, do you do you still close your eyes? And and get furious at Johnny Ash. <laughs> I've never yes, met I the do. kid, but if I kid, he's a grown man now. I might yeah. want to slap him upside the head. <laughs> what angered me the most was when he came out and said that he on ESPN that he had a dream of hitting a home run off of me the night before. Yeah, so, so I had like, I had that one too. Uh huh. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so walk me through that scenario. Right. We're we're mm-hmm. we're playing. We're playing Stanford. We're we're in the losers winner bracket, like we do or die. We, yeah. Whoever loses yeah, goes was, home. I think it was like it was because um, we were two and zero that year, and so we were in the driver's seat. And then Stanford had to come up through the uh, the losers bracket, um, which they did. They had a really good team, and then they beat us the first game of the of the of our bracket championship. So we so that game that he hit it was a uh, um, it was a do or die winner go home, um, and you know it was it was a it was a really good game. It was. Um, I forget, I can't remember what the exact score is, but I remember when I came in, we were we were up by two, and I had warm. I've been warming up, so I think, but I want to say since the fifth inning. Now, are you surprised you're going in? Because yes. my thing is, and I know you've heard this, Dave and George said they weren't going to change anything that they haven't done all year, and then they do. Right. <laughs> yep. Were so you was, not I, looking over at Spider, going, "Hey, um, what, aren't, why aren't you going in?" That's I. That was my initial thought, thought because he had he had been warming up since I want to say the third inning. Um, so uh, so I thought that he was going to go in. He was he was our setup man. He had been doing it all year, and he was doing a very good job of it, like extremely good job of it. Like I think he's a guy that always gets he always gets overlooked at just how good of a how, how good of a, of a pitcher and setup man that he really was. Yes, um, you're absolutely so, right. Um, so for him to not go in and for him to, after after warming up for so long, it was a bit of surprise, and I hadn't gone you know, more than I think two innings since, since I was a starter in high school. So since what, three years before, since mm-hmm. my, uh, my senior year in, two, in 2000. So for me to have, for me to go in, I think I threw four, three or four innings. I think it was, I don't remember exactly how much it was. It was, it was tough. And Omaha is not a, not an easy place to, to pitch. It's hot, it's humid, it's muggy. Um, you know, the, the environment and the weather is definitely not like it is back, you know, back here in California. Yo, um, no, it was probably yeah, 103 so, degrees and 97% humidity. Yep, yeah. So I think that kind of wore on me a little bit, but either way, like I, I, I understood I had a job to do and, um, you know, I, I left the pitch. I was trying to, I remember I was trying to go inside to him and I just left the pitch too far over the middle of the plate and he put a good swing on it. I don't think he hit it out by very much. I think uh, Richie Burgos was maybe an inch or two away from catching it, I think. Um, So it's not like he hit the ball. It's extremely hard. He just, you know, he just got just enough to, to, to hit it out. So got to tip your cap. Was it tough playing? Like, I think it's by the regional or maybe by the super regional because that format to be drafted and now keep playing. How was that focus for you? Um, for me, I, I, I wasn't really worried about the draft. I wasn't even worried about the draft before, before it even happened. Um, cause I mean, going into it, I had no idea that I was going to be a first rounder. I, had, I thought I was going to be like a, maybe a fifth or a sixth rounder. Um, did so, you really, I mean, you really oh, yeah. didn't think you were going that high? Oh no, not, not at all. I didn't, I even, even the morning of the, the draft when the expo scout wanted to meet with me at like seven thirty in the morning. 
Um, I had, I was not even thinking that that was even a possibility. Um, I was, you know, I was a five foot, 10 and a half kid who threw 90 miles an hour. I didn't think that was first round material, no matter how good of a season I was having. Um, but, you know, luckily for me, the Expos, I guess, were in need of a, of a fix right away and, and, they, and they chose me. But, um, but to answer your question, like it didn't really distract me because I didn't really, I didn't think about that. Like my job was, um, and my focus was, was with, was with the Titans and to, to try to bring back a championship. Cause that was my goal. My goal was to try to win the world series. Yeah. And, and obviously it was pre-social media. So you didn't have your, you know, phone and you're not you're sitting there looking at who's saying <laughs> what and who's tweeting right. about you and whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, Probably someone had to, you know, come down and tell you on their flip phone, like, "Hey, I think I heard Baseball America said you got drafted by a team well, in Canada." So <laughs> the way I found out was, I remember we were practicing for the Super Regional against ASU, okay. and um, the Expo scout was there, and he, and he had he had an Expo's hat, and I saw him. I was like, "Oh, maybe maybe Shane got drafted the first round." Had no idea it was me. And then I then I go down. I then I I, I see him because I'm I'm standing at first base. We're taking we're taking batting practice. So my job that that group was taking taking throws from shortstop and third base and, and second base dur- during during that round. So that's what I was doing. I was literally standing on first base catching balls. And then I saw him go and, and talk to talk to Coach Horton. And I slow, then I saw him start slowly making his way over in the stands towards first base. And then Coach Horton comes over to me. He's like, "Hey, someone wants to talk to you." I was like, "What?" So I went over and talked to him, and he said, "Congratulations, the Expos just took you in the first round." So I was like, I kind of like didn't know what to say because I was like, I was so shocked. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! Well, it's only twenty five rounds higher than when you were first drafted out of <laughs> high school. So I mean, Exa- yep, exactly. Not that bad of an improvement. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, were I mean, did you ever think in high school like you were? Did you ever think about maybe I'll take that twenty sixth round and go to the yeah. Padres? I was, I was honestly, I was very close to doing it because when they first drafted me, my heart was to go to Fullerton. I didn't, I didn't even really give it second thought. I remember I was talking to my parents and I, and I talked to my, my, my mom's dad, my grandpa, George, um, about it. He's like, no, you're going to school. I was like, all right, I'm going to school. Um, but then throughout the whole summer, cause the, the draft was a little bit different. They can keep offering you more and more throughout right. the summer, all the way up until, uh, the day before your first, uh, first day at school. And so, they kept going to my games and I, my velocity kept increasing. I think, I think after my, what my senior year, I was throwing 88, 89. By the time the season was done um, from, from summer, I was throwing 93, 94, which I don't even know where the heck that came from. Cause it's not like I was running a whole lot. Um, I was probably eating more Twinkies if anything. Um, so maybe it was from that, <laughs> um, but they, it was, they, they, kept, they kept increasing their offer. So the initial offer was, um, $10,000. And then by the end of the summer, it was $110,000 plus schooling. So I was like, holy cow, I'm 18 years old. I'm, they're going to offer me $110,000. But once again, I, I talked to my parents, I talked to my grandpa and then the, the same answer, like, nope, you're going to school. I was like, all right, I'm going to school then. So I, I had given it some thought, but at the end of the day, it was, it was the best, the best, the best decision I could have made. Right. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine what 18 year old Chad would have been like in the minor leagues? <laughs> I wouldn't. I would never would have talked. I probably would not would have been out of baseball by the time I was like twenty three. Jesus, I mean, yeah, like that's so crazy to think like you're gonna bring a kid in and he's a professional mm-hmm. with that kind of money, understand the business, but then he makes literally nothing week right. to week. He's traveling around. He's in a bus, and he's gotta he's gotta <laughs> compete against other guys now. It's not high school anymore. It's not fun. 
Right, you right. got guys exactly. who are going off to never play baseball again. Junior college kids, maybe there's a Division One kid in your yeah. whole, in your whole league. Now you're playing yeah. against guys who want to kill you because they're looking for your <laughs> playing time. Yep, exactly. It was it's it's different. And um, for me, I I wish you know I wish it's kind of weird because I, I wish high school kids weren't able to get drafted um, because to me you need to be mature and you need to mature in, in, in college and because college helps you out a lot. If you're if you're not if you're not mature enough to to handle the grind of uh, playing baseball on a daily basis and be away from your parents, because um, to be honest, like a lot a lot of these kids who get drafted, it's diff- a little bit different now. But back then, a lot of the a lot of the kids had never been away from their parents. So yeah. once they get drafted and they're being shipped off to Arizona or Florida or Idaho Falls or you know it's the first time of being away from the parents, and they don't know how to handle themselves, and a lot of kids end up getting getting in trouble because they're not mature enough to handle it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you touched on it. You said, you know, when you went to the expos, you know, how was that experience? You know, we're done in June, and mm-hmm. you get drafted. What's your next summer plans look like? <laughs> well, the, so so the minute I I got um, we got knocked out um, against Stanford, I or uh, yeah against Stanford. Um, I touched base with the Expos. I was like, just give me a week. I'll sign right away. Just give me, just give me a week. They're like, okay, no problem. So a week, a uh, week goes by. They, they come to my parents' house and within 30 seconds I sign. Um, <laughs> Jesus, I, <laughs> you're such a negotiator. <laughs> God. Yeah. Yep. I didn't, I didn't have an agent at the time. It was, it was my, it was myself and my, and my parents and my, my parents left it up to me. And the, the minute I got the, the offer, I looked at my parents and it was like, I told them like, this is the most money I've ever thought I'd ever make in my entire life. So I got the pen and I signed right away. And I think it kind of, um, <laughs> I think the, the, the two scouts that were sitting in my, in my, in my parents, uh, um, table kitchen dining table were a little thrown back by it because they weren't, uh, they weren't really thinking that I was going to sign that quickly. They probably were thinking that I was going to try to like get a little bit more money, but I was like, Nope, I'm good. Just time where to go. <laughs> Does this deal come with Cheetos? That's Pretty all. much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or Joe Cola. <laughs> Joe. <laughs> so okay you sign and then what what are they having you know you're you're a week from being hot in omaha what's the plan for you so so right after i signed i they flew me out to new york because the expos are playing the mets so they flew me out to new york i threw a bullpen in front of all their their top brass their, their entire front office was there frank robinson was there so i had a chance to meet frank who was the most intimidating person i've ever met in my entire life um, like, I don't think I realized like how big of a person he was and how mean he looked. Yeah. So I, I, I meet him. I, I know exactly who he was. I was very, you know, very educated on, on, on baseball. I grew up watching it. My dad was a huge fan. Um, so I meet him and then I'm throwing a bullpen in front of one of the greatest players in the history of the game. And so I proceed to throw 20 pitches, 19 of them were straight in the dirt. So <laughs> I'm not even exaggerating at all. 19 of them were, were in the dirt. And I remember my dad overheard Frank asking uh, uh, the guys who drafted me, you're like, this is our first rounder. So I was like, well, my career is done before it even started. So, um, but luckily, you know, I, I was sent down to Florida. I went straight to, to high A and um, I threw in 19 games. And then at the end of the, at the end of the, the A ball season, I was all packed up, ready to go home. I was excited, kind of frustrated because I hadn't thrown in about a week and a half. So I didn't know what was going on. And, um, right after the game ended in, in a ball, they called me in the coach's office and the scout who drafted me was there. And I was like, what are you doing here? And, um, they proceeded to tell me that I was being called up. And the reason why I hadn't been throwing for the last week and a half, cause they wanted my arm to be fresh. 
So I was like, oh my, like, I couldn't believe it. I had, I did not think at all that I would be playing major league baseball. Like I, it was always my dream. But, and even as a first rounder, like I didn't, you know, I was very real, realistic. I didn't think, you know, that I was going to, it was that I was guaranteed to make it and to be called up, you know, a month after signing and a month after playing against Stanford and, and Omaha, I was up in the big leagues. Like that's, it was crazy to me. I mean, do you call home? Are you stunned? Like what, I mean, are you mm-hmm. are getting night sweats? What, I mean, what's your, <laughs> what's your body doing? <laughs> I don't think I slept the, the entire night. Cause I remember I grabbed, I grabbed my little Nokia flip phone. Um, started calling all my parents was, was calling, I was calling my, my grandparents, my friends, and letting everybody know. Ba- basically if you're in my phone book, I was giving you a call that you know. <laughs> so, um, so then and then the next morning, um, cause the, the Expos are playing in Florida against the Marlins, and that's the year that they won it. So they're really good. So they're like, make sure you get plenty of sleep because you have you're, you're catching the van down to uh, down to Fort Lauderdale to play the to play the Marlins at eight o'clock in the morning. I was like, all right, I'll be there. So hopped in the van. It was a it was a white uh, minivan, and they they drove me down from Bavard County down to uh, down to down to Fort Lauderdale, and I was I think I might have pitched that same night. Yeah, I did. I pitched that same night, and I think the first guy I, I faced was uh, Miguel Cabrera. Oh in my his first, In goodness. his first year up, who when he looked like he was a a skinny shortstop. Yeah. So, and luckily he flew out. And I remember I got the first. I remember I got the first two guys out that I faced. It was uh, uh, Miguel Cabrera and Alex Gonzalez. They both flew out, and then um, the third hitter I faced was Carl Pavano, the the freaking pitcher of all people. And I kind of realized where I was. And my legs started to shake. I got super nervous, and I proceeded to throw four straight fastballs nowhere near the plate, and I hit the backstop on four straight fastballs, walked in the pitcher. After getting Miguel Cabrera out in my, with, for my, with my, in my first hitter I faced. So our catcher comes out. Our pitching coach, Randy St. Clair, comes out. They're like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I just realized what I, where I was and what I was doing. So they started laughing. So it kind of helped me calm down a little bit. And the next, the next hitter I faced was uh, Juan Pierre, who was this, the – hardest person to strike out in the league that year. And I proceed, proceeded to strike him out, I think on four or five straight pitches. My God, you didn't want to yeah. step back and do like a little <laughs> Ken Revisa moment and, you know, <laughs> catch your breath and flush it out. And you know what? I probably should have done that. But at the time, I don't even know what was going through my mind. I don't think anything was going through my mind other than the fact that I was playing on a major league baseball mound. I mean, did the mound feel weird? The ball didn't feel right? I mean, you must have just at that point just been like out of your I, body. Yep, yeah, that's exactly that's exactly how I was. Like I don't like I honestly like it it almost felt like I was watching myself uh from above. It was it was it was crazy, but I loved it, you know, and um I'm still thankful that I had the opportunity to do it and I I'm still kind of in shock that I was able to do it. I mean I remember just I remember Ryan and I were talking and going Jesus Christ, he was just in Omaha. <laughs> like, he was just, like, no, like, he was just in Omaha. He probably still has the plane ticket somewhere in a bag. Yep. Like, it was unbelievable. That yep, how quickly... I remember I had the, um, I still had, I was still using the, uh, the, uh, the laptop bag that, that, get, that they had given all the teams. So <laughs> yes. that, that, that was, that was one of my bags that I took. <laughs> oh. Which I still have, by the way. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> Of course you do. Yeah. You know, that thing's built for like a giant two and a half inch Dell computer or something. <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh exactly. God. Uh, I mean, so how was the rest of that year for you? 
It was awesome. I, I couldn't have been more thankful. Um, it was a little tough at the beginning um, because the first two, the first two weeks I was there, nobody talked to me. Nobody, nobody said hi. Nobody said, you know, great game, not, nothing. Um, and it, and I, it comes, I come to find out that the reason they didn't is because they thought I had it in my contract to be up, which a lot of guys at that time, um, especially a lot of first rounders, they had it in the contract that they had to be called up at the, uh, in September, which I didn't have. I didn't even like, maybe it was just me and my parents. We didn't know anything about that. Um, so, you know, once they find out that I, that I didn't have it and they realize that, you know, I am, I, I didn't earn my spot up there. And I, cause I think at that time I had my first, I think, I think I only given up like two runs, um, my, my first month up, I think I'm at 11 innings, gave up two runs and I had like one, like a one six ERA, I think it was. So that was that combined with the fact that I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't run my mouth. I didn't, I didn't say any, had have any negative quotes about any, anything. And this was kind of there and just um, was seen and not heard. I think they respected that a lot. So once those first, those first two weeks come up and they realized that, you know, I wasn't there because of my contract, that's when they started to open up. And I remember even after um, the season was done, Todd Zeal offered, offered uh to let me fly back home on his uh, on his private plane back to california which i jumped on in a heartbeat well okay yeah. that's a perfect segue because <laughs> i remember seeing you i don't know if it was like the year later at the alumni game or something and you're just you were just like the training tables are so <laughs> big that there's just food everywhere it was honestly it was like <laughs> Uh, it was a, it was a little it was a, it was a kid's it was a fat kid's dream so it was my it was my favorite it was like every candy bar you could ever think of, pizza, sodas nonstop. It was like literally everything. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, I just thought that was the sweetest thing. Like you were just like, oh, no, nothing about Montreal, nothing about the training tables. I'm like, well, the kid hasn't changed a bit. <laughs> uh, I'm, was that odd playing in Canada in that, in that uh, Olympic arena? It, it was, it was, it didn't feel like, you know, and it's, and it's sad to say because the, the people in Montreal are super nice and they love, they do love baseball up there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the stadium itself was, wasn't the greatest. It wasn't in very good condition. I remember we would go, especially the next year we were going our, on a, like a two, a two week uh, road trip to, down to Puerto Rico and we come back and then you can see where they just haphazardly put down the turf uh, because after um, after every homestand we had, they would tear the turf up because they would always have like monster truck rallies or boat shows or something else that goes on in, in, in that stadium. Um, and so they wouldn't really put, put the, uh, the turf back in until about a day or two before we got there. So we would go back out there after being on the road for, for two weeks and you could still see the, the, the seams. You could just pull up the, the mat of the grass and stuff. So it was, oh. it was a little, it was a little crazy. And I remember we, you'd have, um, rain puddles in the outfield, which was which was nuts because we were playing in a dome, um, but the roof wasn't the greatest. And you could tell if they hadn't put the AC on in a while because um, the first time they they were fired up when we were taking batting practice, you could see the, the pigeon feathers fly out everywhere. Oh, uh, so yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't the greatest stadium, but I, the city of Montreal itself is by far one of my favorite cities. It's such a beautiful place. You don't feel like you're in Canada. You you feel like you're in Europe because it's got the old the red the red brick everywhere. Um, I love Toronto, but Toronto still feels like you're, you're in an American city and mm-hmm. Montreal. You don't, I mean, people are, are speaking French. They're super, they're, um, it's clean. It's the architecture is different. It's, I loved it up there. Culture shock at all for you. I mean, it's not Chino, 
<laughs> there's no cows that's for sure right weather <laughs> like i mean yep. everything language barrier where yeah, did you it was, did you it figure was, out where to you know stay and yeah you know, so i was eat? i was very lucky i was i was extremely lucky um when i when i got called up um one of the guys who took me under under the wing was a, was a guy named jamie carroll um and his he was by far one of the one of the nicest guys i had ever had a chance to, to play with um, and the reason he took me under his wing is because I played with his brother down in a ball. And his, when I got called up, his brother had, had called him up, told him who I was, told him what kind of person I was. And Jamie took to me right, right away. Um, and to, to this day, I still keep in contact every now and then whenever, whenever we can. Um, and he's just one of the, by, by far one of the, the nicest and most res- respectful guys I'd, I'd, I've ever been around. Wow. Yeah. Cause I got to imagine being in Montreal, that's gotta be crazy. It's not being in like, <laughs> Baltimore, Seattle. It's Canada. Right. It's Montreal. Right. Mm-hmm. They had the subway underneath. It was. Oh, just, the subway was nuts. Yeah. Yeah. That I mean, it was built for the Olympics, and then they just yeah. kind of like you guys get to play here. Yep. And this, <laughs> and the, it was, it was, it the uh, another cool thing. But I don't, it, I don't know if it's cool or if we're just kind of different, which I had to get used to. Was, I mean, we would have we would have ten day homestands, and I would never be out in in, in the fresh air because where our apartment was you could take an elevator down underneath the city because a lot of, a lot of the, um, the shops are built underneath the, the street level. And so the elevator was taking straight down to the under, underground, uh, um, stores. And right there, you can catch the, catch the subway. The subway would take you straight directly underneath the stadium and you walk up the ramp and you're right there in the stadium. So I would never have to go outside. So there, there, there are honestly a lot of times where, where our next road trip, that would be the first time I'd be outside in about a week and a half. Was that your first time playing in a dome? It was. <clears throat> well, no, I take that back because in uh, 2003 we, we played at uh, Minnesota. Oh, so that's at, right. At the Metrodome where we didn't very we didn't play that well. But, that's right. Um, but that one was a lot better. Even for all the problems that one had, that one uh, that one was a lot better than the one in uh, Montreal. Yeah, it, Montreal Stadium always felt like the dome was like an aftermath. Like it just always seemed piecemeal because it was for the Olympics, and they yep. kind of jammed baseball in there and never yep. felt comfortable yeah because i'm well that also too i think the roof was a late a, like it was added on it was added after the olympics yeah because i remember i think when wallet played there i don't know if they had the um the roof on there yet but i think he might have been right right around when they first put it on and it i remember they had a lot of trouble with it because it wasn't like a solid a solid roof it was kind of flimsy i think when wallet played there they still had the track you could, I think so. you could see part of the actual lanes of the track behind home plate. You, you might be right. <laughs> but, I mean, you've played, fortunately in your career, you've played in some really hodgepodge stadiums, like playing in Puerto <laughs> Rico when they played there and playing in RFK, yep. right? I oh, mean, that yeah. place was a historical place, and you end up, they go from Montreal to Washington, and they play in that <laughs> Yep. <laughs> shithole. <laughs> like, it's just, my yeah. God. But you know what? I enjoyed it. I, I liked that kind of stuff. It was, you know, I, I wish I would have been able to play in their new stadium a lot more than I did. Um, their first year opening it, that was the year that I got hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, but RFK, it had a lot of character to, to it. You know, as even for how old it was, it was, that was the first time I'd ever seen um, the, the the fans jumping up, jump up and down the way they did, because I guess that's what they used to do for the Redskins. Uh-huh. So once we played there, we are actually pretty good for the first half of the season, so the fans were doing the same thing, and I honestly thought we were about we were having an earthquake a lot of times because the whole the whole stadium was shaking. 
So. <laughs> well, you now sound like a parent because you said it had a lot of character. I think the 23-year-old Chad would have said, that place was a dump. <laughs> you know what? You're probably right. <laughs> You've looked at a lot of coloring books and said, oh, that's beautiful. Yes, that's a, I have. That's great. Yep. <laughs> nice job. Oh, Jesus. I mean, was what? Okay, so you're, you're you know, 2003, you get up, four, you get up. Are you... Are you in fantasy land thinking like, I'm playing in Yankee Stadium, I'm playing in Fenway, I'm playing in all these stadiums I used to watch on a Saturday afternoon? Mm. Was that like crazy for you those first couple of years? It, it was, and it, it, it's, it's, and it still was it's, until, I, until I finally retired. I never, I never got over that. Um, and because to me, it was, it was always fun. I mean, playing, playing with guys and playing against guys that I grew up watching, um, you know, it was – it was a one one of the best things I could I could have ever experienced aside, aside from having kids, um, you know, being being the same clubhouse for the All Star game as like John Smoltz and Billy Wagner and and then when I was with the Mariners playing alongside uh, Ichiro and playing alongside Jeter and Griffey and A Rod and um, who else Clemens for for Team USA like I was like I'm a 23 year old kid like what is what is going on. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> I'm but, from Gino. Know. I shouldn't be here. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, but it, it was, it was great. You know, like it, it, those are all guys that I grew up idolizing. My younger brother, Alan was a huge diehard Griffey fan. So, um, when I, when I had, when I played, when I, when I played with him with team USA, like he was in heaven. Oh yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So it, it was great, you know, and then to meet these guys and to find out they're just like, they're just like you and me. And like, it was, it was, I, you know, I, 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 will be so grateful and forever thankful to have that opportunity. What was the stadium that really just blew you away? Oh, let me think. Probably Wrigley. Okay. I loved going to Wrigley Field. What year did um, you finally go there? Uh, 2004 okay. was my first time. I didn't know, um, like, end of September, if they made a, you made a trip out there. Yeah, Yeah. no, we, no, we did not. Where did we go? I think we ended up the year in Cincinnati that year. So I was the first year of their, of their new, ball, new ballpark. Okay. Um, but Wrigley Field, the first time I went there, I'm like, I remember I'm, I'm, I'm riding on the team bus and, you know, headed down there. And I'm, and I'm used to like, I'm, or I'm trying, I'm starting to get used to like where these, all these, these stadiums are located. You know, they're often like kind of away from everything where they have a lot, a lot more space. And then I remember we're, I'm on, we're on the team bus and we're driving through this, like this neighborhood. And all of a sudden this cathedral is just like in the middle smack dab of this neighborhood. I'm like, now I know why everybody talks about Wrigley. Like it was crazy. I mean, to have, to have a place like that in the middle of a neighborhood, right next, right across the street from a bunch of houses, it was incredible. And I will never forget my, my, my time playing there. It was awesome. I mean, can you imagine as a kid, little Chad Cordero playing out <laughs> front of his stoop and then, you know, there's the gink the the game going on right there. <laughs> I would have been in heaven. I mean I would I would have tried I would have tried to sneak in probably every day. I mean what 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 young boy wouldn't have thought like, Oh, that's it, I've died, I've gone to heaven, that's it. I got the Cubs <laughs> playing here every day in my front yard. That's like if you're a baseball player and you have a chance to grow up around that. I mean, gosh, you're you're the luckiest kid alive in my book. Right. I mean, there's nothing like you know, there's nothing like that anywhere else. Um, you know, even today, like if you're at Anaheim and you're a block away, you got to go, you know, driveways and parking lots and all the stuff, freeways, <laughs> yep. Dodger Stadium. You go uphill. By the time you get there, you're dead. I mean, this literally, <laughs> you roll out of your front yard 
and mm-hmm. you you could play butts up on the side of the stadium. Exactly, and you know what? I think why I liked Wrigley Field so much was because it kind of reminded me of Rosenblatt. It kind of had that same neighborhood feel, mm-hmm. um, you know, because with Rosenblatt, you had those homes that were directly across the street that were probably had been there for a hundred years or whatever it was. Right. And the people there were so were so super friendly. I mean, you could walk from house to house and and meet different people. And that's for me that when I went to Wrigley, that's how it was. Um, so it kind of had that this that same feel. I think that's why I like it so much. What what were you drinking in two thousand four? What ice cream? What what energy drink? Or, or not four? I'm sorry, two thousand five. Because two thousand five, that's when you put it together. Like yeah. all of a sudden, you were Chad Cordero in the major leagues, as if you were still wagging your finger at ASU in two thousand three. Like, what the hell were you doing? I was, honestly, I was going to Seven Eleven every day to get me to get me a Slurpee. <laughs> that was my routine. My myself and one of my teammates we we roomed together um, out in, out in Alexandria. And I remember one time he was like, "Let's stop and get a Slurpee." I was like, "Okay, let's do it." And then I, I remember it was the start of our ten game um, winning streak for for the Nationals. So we we did that for for ten days straight. And I was like, you know what? I'm doing. I'm still doing pretty well even after we lost. So I'm gonna keep doing it. So I, went, I literally went to 7-Eleven every day and got me a Slurpee with every single flavor that they had. Every day. <laughs> didn't matter if it was like pina colada, cherry coke, nope. and oh, no. blue didn't, raspberry. Didn't if, they if they didn't go together, they were going into my Slurpee. Oh, my God. That So that's it? That I, I was thinking maybe you worked on like a cutter. All right? Oh, you, no. You decided to do a little uh, incline bench press, but no. <laughs> it was 7-Eleven. Nope, it, it was Slurpees, and I had my Misfit shirt underneath. That was that was that was what I was doing. <laughs> was, so I still threw I still threw nothing but a fastball. I want to say I maybe threw a handful of sliders and a handful of curveball or changes that entire year. So nothing different from what I was doing when I was at Foley Because I remember, and nobody, nobody nobody ever believes me, but I but I I swear up and down, and I'm not even joking. I, in my junior year in Fullerton, I threw ten off street pitches the entire year, and that's pretty much what I was doing my, in 2005. I was throwing nothing but fastballs. But it was location. You were just hitting yep. your spots. Yep, going up and down, in and out. And for me, that was four different pitches, so that's all I needed. I mean, when did it start to feel good? Was it April? Was it May? Like, you're like, my arm slot is just perfect. I, whatever I tell it to do, it does. Uh, probably June. Okay. Because that, that was that was a month where I, where I recorded the, the, the 15 saves to tie the record. Right. Um, and so that's when everything was just firing on, on all cylinders. I mean, it was... I, I couldn't miss my spot, and I don't know. I can't even honestly remember what the heck I was doing right at that time. It just everything felt good. My arm felt good, and even the days where I had thrown four or five days in a row, my arm still felt great. I mean, is that weird to be in, like, you know, basketball players, baseball players, they'll say the zone, right? Jordan drops, you know, 69. Kobe does, you know, I was at the 81 game, whatever. But, like, did it feel that incredible for a year to be like, <laughs> wow, I am just – I'm doing it against <laughs> professionals, not against yeah. Missouri State, Christian Valley, and mm-hmm. UC Davis, Berkeley. Like yep. you're, you're, you're crushing pros. Yep, and it felt really good. But honestly, like I wasn't even really thinking about it too much. I was just enjoying the moment, you know, and enjoying, enjoying that I was that I was that I was playing major league baseball and and doing pretty well at it. Like I wasn't really think overthinking about like my arm side or nothing like that. I just knew it felt really good. 
So I, I like I said, I was enjoying my time and hoping it wasn't wouldn't come to an end. What did what did it mean to you being selected in the All Star game that year? Oh, I same once again. I didn't even think that that was going to happen. Um, just like just like me being drafted in the first round, I didn't think I was going to be an All Star. There was in my eyes, there was a lot more guys that were that were a lot better than me. Um, you know, I wasn't. I didn't throw hard. I threw eighty nine, ninety at the at the hardest. You know, you had guys like Billy, Wag- Billy Wagner that year who were throwing a hundred and saving. I don't know how many games, even Trevor Hoffman too. So I didn't think I was I was going to make the team, but once um, Frank announced it, I remember we had um, a team meeting before our last game in Chicago um, against the Cubs, and he brought every, he brought everybody together, and um, he announced that myself and Levon Hernandez were 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 the selections for the for the Nationals for the All Star game, and I I couldn't believe I think my jaw dropped. Um, and then I think I froze for a couple minutes and I remember our catcher, Brian Snyder, he was like, go call your mom, go call your parents. So I was like, okay. So I got my, went, uh, <laughs> went to my locker, got my phone and I went to, down to the back room where the, where they did all the wash for the teams and called my parents right, right there. And, um, told them what happened. I think I might start crying too. Oh, so it was, oh. it was exciting. And you get in the game, you face one guy, you get Yvonne Rodriguez <laughs> and you strike him out on fastballs. <laughs> I mean, were you worried you might not get in the game? Um, a little bit, but but at, but towards the end of the or at the beginning at the beginning of the eighth inning, um, I remember the I remember Tony La Russa called down down to the bullpen, um, and he specifically asked to speak with me. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. So I get I get on the bullpen phone. I talk to him, and he's like, if he's like, are you feeling up to getting the last out of the end, the eighth inning? I was like, heck yeah. He's like, all right. He's like, you got you got the the third out of the eighth, of the eighth inning. I was like, all right, you got it. So because for me, like, I kind of understood that that it may never happen again. That I may never get that opportunity to play to play in a game and uh, or to play in an All Star game again. So the minute he asked if I if I wanted to throw, I jumped all over it. I didn't want to miss that opportunity. So I remember I was kind of nervous because Jake Peavy was was on the was on the mound, and there was one out. I mean, there's there's a runner on first base, and he's notorious for getting ground balls. That's how, how, how <laughs> So I was kind of nervous and kind of worried that I that he was going to get a, a ground ball and get a double play out of it. But I think I think whoever he's facing ended up flying out. Um, and then I came in and um, was able to face Pudge in in Detroit. But, and he was playing for for the Tigers at the time, so to be able to face him in Detroit and at the All Star game and then strike him out in front of his home fans, that was it was an incredible feeling. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. I think was, I think I threw him a slider too to strike him out. Oh, look at rare. you! Yeah. Look at you! <laughs> <laughs> mixing it up on the catcher <laughs> yeah, was uh, that year ends. Are you thinking when you go into 06, like it's going to be the same, everything's feeling the same. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm here. Yeah. For the most part. I mean, I, I was very confident going in. Um, 06 was, was a lot different. I think I had, uh, I think I've had 30 saves. I think that year. So I still had a good year. It was as what is was it as good as the year before? No, not not any not not close. Because uh, your ERA cool. went up, I I know that. Yeah, the I, yeah, yeah. It went up by a by a point. I think it was. I think yeah. I, the year before I was like one point eight. One point eight two to three nine three point one nine. Yeah. Yeah. So it 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 gone up a little bit, but I was also at that in two thousand six. I was also being used a lot differently too. Um, what were they Frank doing? Robbins, they were. I was throwing a lot more than than what I was throwing the year before. So I wasn't like a conventional closer that year. Um, it was I wasn't coming in for a one for a one inning save, 
Frank was using it as 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 me as a as a setup man slash slash closer. So I was coming in the eighth inning a lot, um, and I was still throwing um, multiple days in a row. So my arm it was take, it was taking a little bit of toll on my arm. Like I saw a lot more than than the year before. Um, so I think that might have had, so it has something to do with it. But at the same time, you know, I didn't have um, my location was a little bit off, so I, and I ended up leaving a lot more. Uh, pitches over the middle plate, so that so that kind of contributed contributed to the to the higher ERA. But you know, it was still a great year. I still had thirty saves um, that year. ERA was you know wasn't where it needed to be, but you know I got I still got the job done. I think only, I think I blew less saves than I did the year before. Um, so I still think it was a very good year. Was but it just wasn't you know as magical as as the previous one. Is that something they discuss with you and say, hey, we're gonna maybe possibly extend your innings and kind of do something, you know, in the eighth and get you. Get f- <laughs> I want four outs instead of three. Um, I thought they would, but they didn't. It just kind of happened because our our relievers at the time they were kind of struggling, um, and they they trusted me to, to go out there and get and get and get outs. And you know, I didn't mind it. Like whatever they needed, they needed, they needed me to do, I was going to do. So, um, but they didn't really talk talk to me about it. They just kind of did it, and I was okay with it. You know, I I wasn't I wasn't going to complain. I was in the big leagues and. I was, you know, I was a closer. So whatever, if they needed me to get out nine outs, I would do do whatever to get nine outs. But um, you know, they ask a lot of times. They ask me to go two two innings or more, or yeah, two innings, and I did it. How was your relationship at that point, right? Because in college, you probably spent way much more time with Dave than you did with George mm-hmm. as the pitching coach. Right? Was it that same way for you in the majors with the Nationals, or was Frank involved in in some of those decisions? as well um, um i mean it was it was mostly a the pitching coach's decision but frank did have he did have a, a hand in it um but I, I would talk to frank all the time and I, I credit frank for my career i mean i don't think i would have had the career i had without him um he had a lot of confidence in me and he could have easily taken me out of the out of the close rule a few times and he didn't um he trusted me and he always he always had my back and i remember he would call me in the, into his office every now and then just to kind of encourage me and it, that always made me feel feel pretty feel good because he didn't do that for everybody, um, like at all. Hmm. So for him to for him to call me into the office every now and then and just, and just kind of talk to me and, and and make me feel good about myself and remind me how good I was, that gave me a lot of confidence because I mean here it is here he is one of the greatest players I ever put on put on a uniform is saying he has confidence in me. I was like I I have to listen, you know. I, it, he doesn't do that for everybody. What do you think he saw in you to do to give you that kind of attention or, or at least attention to detail you know i honestly i don't know um i think he respected me just because of the fact that i didn't i like i said earlier like i wasn't cocky i didn't really i didn't talk a whole lot i just kind of kept to myself and and just never complained and just whatever whatever they asked me to do i did it and for frank that's i think that's what he liked he he was a very hard-nosed player i mean he 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 kind of didn't get along with with some of the new school type of players like mm-hmm. the ones who were who didn't give their full effort because that when he was playing, that's what he liked, and that's what I gave, and I think that's what that might have been what he liked. Yeah, I mean, no one's ever going to say, "Oh, Chad Cordero, the guy with the gold necklace and the flashy, <laughs> you know, walk off back flip kind." Of, that's not you, no. Like he probably no, had to make no, sure, like, is he in the bullpen? Has anybody seen him? <laughs> you seen the guy with the flat bill who walks like a duck? Yeah, that guy. <laughs> Is he here? <laughs> you know, the real athletic looking one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, he probably did a, see a little bit of, you know, you were the old school mentality. I shut up, I get my job done, 
and I'm heard when I'm on the mound, not mm-hmm. on radio shows and on Twitter right. and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. I think that's honestly, I think that's what it was. Um, I think we just had, we had a mutual respect for each other and I loved Frank and, 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 and like I said, with Alan, I think with, if I didn't have him as a manager coming up, I don't know if I would have had the career that I had. Right. Now, 07 is a little tough for you, right? You're dealing mm. with your grandmother's passing. Right. Pitching's not going as well. Like, how mm. for you was that? I mean, you're not 18 anymore, but still, like, <laughs> you have emotions. You're human. You're, you know, your grandma doesn't live down the street, so you can't just, right. like, run over and see her. I mean, how was that for you? Because it's – people talk about mental health now – Mm-hmm. That was not discussed or even a words put together in a sentence in 2007. Right. Yeah. It was. It was tough. Um, you know, because I was I was on the East Coast. You know, like I said, I couldn't just I just I couldn't just hop in the car and, and come see my family. Um, so I was kind of dealing with and getting all the information from my from my dad because it was it was his mom um, on everything that was going on. And I remember I came home for about a week during the middle of the season because I because to, to to see her to be with my family to kind and to kind of regroup and. Luckily, I was able to do that. I, was, I saw her, and she passed away um, a short time after that. But um, that was, you know, it's tough. It's it's when you're, you know, everybody thinks that like you know you're you're a professional athlete, you're you're mentally tough, which we which we pretty much are. But there are there's a lot of stuff that 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 you go through that people that a lot that people don't really realize, and you know, the death of a family member when you're on the opposite coast that takes a toll on you. Right. I mean, if you were Chad Cordero, the the lawyer, and you worked in Georgetown. Mm-hmm. You would have gone home. Yep. Everybody just says, well, was you wear a funny outfit and you throw a ball around, you've got to stay. Yeah. Well, the the law office would have taken care of the needs for a week. Like you still are human and you have those relationships you still have to tend to. Yeah, exactly. So was that looked upon oddly in 2007? Was there any blowback, media, teammates? Um, not really. They were, they're all very supportive of, of, of it. Um, cause it is part of, of our, um, our collective bargaining agreement. So you are allowed to take bereavement leave. Um, and you're, I think you're, you're able to get up to seven days. And right. so I, I, I took all seven days and, um, they're very supportive of it. They, they, I remember I, t- I was talking to a couple of teammates, um, throughout the whole week and I, and I texted back and forth with Frank a little bit, um, about it and they were very supportive. So, cause I think they just wanted me to make, they wanted to make sure that I was okay because when I came, when I came back, I was like a totally different pitcher. Yeah. Uh, I felt, I felt good again. I was rejuvenated. And I think that's what I just, I needed to just be with family for a little bit. Right. Kind of cleanse your palate, wipe your mind free of it. Yep. Cause you come back starting May 12th and you go 12 consecutive appearances without giving out a run. <laughs> yeah and sometimes you need that you know it's like you know, it's just like a, uh, a change of scenery just go on vacation for for a couple for a couple of days you know just kind of clear your mind a little because it the season is, it's tough um you're, oh, you're playing God. every day you're playing you're playing every day and you know yes it is, yes we do play a sport for a living and a lot of people will make fun of that but it does take a toll on your body with how with how much you travel how much you're you're working out because i actually was working out at that time um and running so you're you're pitching, you're you're working out, you're running, you're traveling, you're sometimes you're hitting three different time zones in one week, um, and you're not you're not getting a whole lot of sleep because there there are times where you have a night game and you're traveling that that same night, mm-hmm. um, so, so your body's not getting getting a whole lot of rest because you're sleep, you're trying you're trying to get sleep on on a plane, um, it takes a toll on you. So, yeah. And then I don't think I don't think a lot of uh, a lot of people really realize how 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 difficult it can't it can be yeah it's not as sexy as it looks it, it, it right. is work yeah it yeah because just... i remember 
we had one road trip. I remember we were playing, I forget what year it was. It might've been 2006, uh, but we had the Sunday night ESPN game and it started at eight o'clock in DC and we were playing the Mets. Um, and then we had, we were flying out that night to come back, to come down to LA and we had a game that next day. Ugh. And I remember there was, a, there was a slight rain delay. So we didn't get done with the game until about 1130 that night. And so by the time we got on the plane, it was around two 30 in the morning. Um, and so we didn't land in LA until around six or six 30 in the morning. And we had a game that same day. So, and then by the time we got to the hotel, um, was around, I think I, I want to say we got there around eight in the morning because of, because of LA traffic and we mm-hmm. were flying from LAX to Pasadena or driving from LAX to, to Pasadena. So it wasn't, it wasn't exactly close. Um, so we didn't get back to the hotel until about eight and we had a game that, that, that night. So luckily for us, Frank was like, get sleep, don't show up to the ballpark until five o'clock. And we had our games at seven. So we were able to go to grab some sleep, but that's but member that, that, um, that trip, it, it was tough because nobody really caught up on their sleep and, and recovered from that. Yeah. That's the, uh, the lovely part of there's, there's no way you should be going from the East coast to the West coast. Like that ESPN game. There's, you should not have that. No way. Right. <laughs> that should have been a one o'clock afternoon game. And then you guys get out of there and get into LA at midnight instead of, yep. you know, 7am. Oh, yeah. I used to hate that. Oh God. Yep. So you go on that run. You're the second youngest guy to get to hundred saves in major league baseball history. I mean, you're doing well. You know, you, you close out RFK Stadium. God love you. You know, you're just closing stadiums left and right. Uh, were you thinking, okay, you know, where where are you now in your contract? You're four mm-hmm. years in. Right. Uh, is that something now that's coming up and that you've got to deal with? Um, not really, because I, I was still going uh, year to year because I was in arbitration. I was arbitration eligible. Okay. Um, at, that, at that point, so um, and I and I I let my agent deal with that. Um, I knew I, I knew they probably weren't going to offer me a multi-year deal um, at that time, so I kind of wasn't really worried about it. I was just kind of um, focused on on playing and whatever happened in arbitration happened. Um, I let I let like I said I let I let my agent at the time um, deal with that because I he knew he knew more about that kind of stuff than I did. So okay. Was, it wasn't it wasn't going to do me any good worrying about it. Right. So in '08 you start the season and you decided to tear parts of your shoulder off. <laughs> I mean, yep. as athletic as you are, I, why the shoulder? I would I definitely would have thought it would have been a rolled ankle or a, a blown knee on the way you land. Yep. I, I thought so too. I, I thought maybe I would have, you know, like maybe had an ACL injury or, you know, maybe blew out all my cartilage in my knee or something like that, but shoulder, not so much. I mean, um, what, what were you doing when it happened? Were you throwing? Yep. I was playing catch. And I remember, um, it was the first game of the year, so we were, it was we had that we had the very first game of the, of the entire year against the Braves. There was we were opening up the new season, or the, I'm sorry, that we were opening up the new uh, stadium in, uh-huh. at, um, in DC. Um, and I remember I was playing catch, and I just felt this sharp pain go from my shoulder down to my elbow, and I'd never felt like it, felt like anything like that before. So I I stopped playing catch. I I went in, talked to the trainers, and they were they were really concerned. So they shut me down that night. They sent me out to get an MRI um, that next day. So I got an MRI, came back, and I came back uh, that I had a, a slightly torn labrum. And the way it was worded by, by the uh, team physician was, it's really nothing to deal with, to worry about. Most pitchers will have something like this. So I was like, and I listened to them. So they, they were like, we're going to treat it as tendonitis. So I was like, okay. So I got a cortisone shot, was rehabbing, but it really wasn't feeling all that great. I remember I came back uh, from the disabled list um, about two weeks later, 
and it's I was throwing like 82 or 83 miles an hour. I, I mean, I didn't throw that hard to begin with, but 80, 82 or 83 miles an hour is for a fastball. <laughs> that's not very good. No, that's so, not going to cut it there, Chad. Yeah, so... <laughs> You know, but I was still getting the job done, which is which was crazy. I mean, like, I think my location was actually a lot better than what than when I was throwing a little bit harder. But um, but it was still kind of it was still giving me issues. And I remember I was I was throwing in a game. I came I came back. I think I'd thrown about seven or eight games. I think it was, and I we were playing the Braves again at home. Um, and I was trying to close out, I was trying to get my first save of the season. And I threw a pitch, and I heard what sounded like a piece of paper ripping. Oh, I didn't really, I, it, I felt a tug, but it didn't really hurt. So I was like, okay, well that was odd. And I went, my stupid self went through one more pitch after that. And that's when it happened. So, um, I ended up tearing my, my lat at that time. So that's really what kind of set me down. And I was rehabbing in, in Florida, trying to figure out what was going on. I had, I had, and during that time, I probably had about another three or four MRIs. They all said I had a slightly torn labrum and, and torn uh, lat. But there was nothing. There was nothing that they, that they can do for the lat. They just let it kind of heal on its own. Okay. Uh, they didn't want to have surgery, so they so I was rehabbing that in Florida, and it wasn't getting any better. So I finally convinced them to let me fly out to, to Anaheim to go see Doctor Joe. And so the minute I saw him, he kind of had this like look on his face that I kind of I knew right off the right off the bat wasn't a good look. And he was like, "You should have had surgery uh, two months ago." So he was like, it's not a slightly torn labrum. You actually have a, uh, it's a severely torn labrum in there. Um, and then, so they did surgery about a week later. And the Okay, wait, wait, wait. How, how does he know that? And these other quote unquote professionals think you have a torn rotator nail. Like, how did they not know that? I'm not sure if I should probably talk about that. Okay, but I'm just saying, like, yeah. that's the crazy part. Like, wow. Yeah, yeah. There was um, some stuff I think that was going on behind the scenes. Sure, uh, sure. But that's the frightening yeah. part, isn't it? It's your yes, health. It yep, what if yep. What if those same people were looking at your dad's EKG going, mm-hmm. oh, you know, you're fine. Just have some more <laughs> pork grinds. Yep. It would have been bad. It would have been really bad. So. Jesus. So Job takes care of you. Thank God. Yep. Yeah. He takes, he takes care of me. I have, I had the surgery a week later. And then when he, when they, when I go in, for, uh, have the surgery, he finds not only a torn labrum, he finds fraying of the labrum and he also finds a torn bicep as well. Oh, so I, I thought you were going to say like a pocket watch or something. Well, that's oh. not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Just torn muscles. Oh yeah. So I had the torn labrum, the torn lat, the torn bicep, fraying the labrum. So they end up giving me two, and I still have, I still have two anchors in my shoulder uh, to this to this day. So, you know, that that put me out for the rest of the year and may help help or had me rehab for the next year and a half after that. Yeah, because it doesn't like that. That kind of spoiled your relationship with them. Right. right, because that's yep. the you hear the radio interview about the GM and yep. how they're gonna you know uh, deal with you, and uh-huh. that's not that cannot be kosher. You must have just lost your mind. Yeah, I was kind of, I was kind of shocked and, and, and kind of sad about it. You know, I knew I knew how the business was. I knew how I wasn't gonna get offered a contract the, the next year. You know, I, with someone who has a shoulder surgery or isn't going to, you know, get the same type of deal that, they, that anybody else would be getting. So I knew that, you know, I knew it was a business part, but to find out the way I did and to have, find out that the GM had lied about it was kind of, you know, kind of not the greatest thing in the world. I'll say shitty. So, I'll yeah, say it. Yeah. That was kind of <laughs> shitty. Yeah. So 
what's what's your mindset? I guess this goes back to your mental health again, where it's just kind of like you got to get your arm right. It's not like mm-hmm. I guess you might have been more. You might have been better off if you maybe blown an ACL on your plant right. leg, but you know you're always your shoulder. Your that thing that makes you your mm-hmm. money is yep. the worrisome thing, right? If you maybe yep. lost a pinky on your left hand, it wouldn't have been so bad. But right. wh- where where are you at mentally? Going okay, Chad. What what are we doing here, buddy? Yeah, it How- was it was tough, you know, because at the at the time I thought my career was probably going to be over, um, because at the at at that stage um, of the uh, shoulder injuries and how, where the uh, shoulder surgery was um, and it, and it's lifeless, like, you know, how it was, um, it was kind of comparable to how Tommy John's surgery was when it first came out. It was mm-hmm. kind of hit or miss. If you came back, it was like a 70% chance that you were never going to come back. And so that's how the shoulder was at that time. Really? So, oh yeah. So it was kind of like the kiss of death. Like it was, um, you know, the minute the minute you had pitchers had a shoulder injury, especially a labrum, um, a lot of them, for the most part, were not coming back. So I, that was in the back of my head, you know, because I wasn't sure what was going to happen. You know, I didn't know what what my career was going to be like after that. Was I done? Am I finished? Am I, how, is it going to take me two or three years to come back? I didn't know. Um, so it was it was tough, you know, trying to figure out what, what was what my future was was gonna gonna be like. It, you know, it was it was very uncertain. That's for, that's for sure, but. Um, I was still hopeful that I was going to come back. I was still doing everything I could to, to, to strengthen my shoulder and get in good shape and, um, and you know, and, and try to come back, you know, as, as quickly as possible. I mean, now they do Tommy John like Botox. I mean, everybody just gets mm-hmm. a little Tommy John here oh, and yeah. there. It's not yep. a big deal, but the shoulder was still voodoo. Yep, yep. and now and nowadays the shoulder right now is, is – is very similar to how Tommy John was ten years ago. It's you, you're you're you have it you have the surgery and you might be out for a year, but you're coming back. Wow! Um, and, and unfortunately, at that time when when I got it, it it just wasn't the surgeries or the knowledge of the shoulder just wasn't as good as it is now. Yeah. So, so man, I mean, did you come home? Were you talking to anybody? Like, what? Who were you leaning on just to keep your mind right? And you didn't like just you know jump off a pier. <laughs> yeah, I, I came home um, at the time. I was I was engaged um, to my to my uh, to my ex wife now. Yeah, um, at the time because we were because we, we were planning we were planning our wedding at that time because we were getting married that 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 off season. So I came home, was able to help help out with the planning of that. Was able to hang out with my parents and my and my family, my brothers, and everybody. See my grandparents. Um, so so I think that's what kind of helped me out. If I if I had still been in DC, it would it would have been tough. You know, I I would have loved to have been there with with my teammates, but. Um, the minute the doctor said, yeah, you know, Hey, you have a chance to go home. If you want to, you can rehab with, 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 um, Dr. Job's people. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. So, so are you in, or at least your manager or your, your agent in contact with the club saying, Chad's doing this, Chad's mm-hmm. looking good. You know, Chad's brushing his teeth. He wants to throw <laughs> and, yeah. you know, because it, it's such a weird limbo. You're like this free agent, but you got a dent in you. Yeah, yeah. So he, so he was talking. He was talking to a lot of teams, and he was talking to a lot of teams that had that had had interest in trading for me the year before, before I got hurt. Okay. So he was talking to them, um, and I remember at the time, I think the Phillies were were interested in in, in doing something with me, even even after my um, my surgery. Um, but unfortunately, it didn't work out. And then the Mariners came in, um, uh, kind of out of nowhere, and offered. And they were like, "Yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll do his rehab. Well, you can come out to to Arizona." And then, and, but they were, and they were perfectly aware that I was probably not going to throw for them at, at all that year, but they were okay with me coming out, signing me to a deal. 
um, and just having me rehab the entire year because that that following year is when I is when I made it back up um, in 2010. Right, right. I mean, was that was that really like a relief off of your mind that you're back in the big leagues and you're wearing that uniform and not a, you know. Arizona something <laughs> Mariner jersey or whatever you were right. wearing a Seattle jersey. <laughs> yep, yeah, it it was it was a huge relief, you know, because I like I said earlier, I didn't I didn't know if I was gonna be ever be back be back in the big leagues again, and I was very fortunate, you know, the the Mariners they gave me a chance, they stuck with me, they could have released me at, at any point during that first year that I was rehabbing, and they didn't, um, and so to be able to have a chance to be called up, and then to know that I was called up. I was the person that called up when Griffey decided to retire a bit here. That made it even more cool for me. So, um, but it was, you know, it was very special. Um, I was very happy and very, and very, very blessed and very lucky to have made it back up. I mean, you're only 28. You're just a kid. I mean, you probably right. had 14 hairs on your face. You're, I mean, you're a child. <laughs> that's, I, that's more than I have right now. I still can't grow a beard. I were, so you get back to the Mariners what are you thinking? Okay. Like I got to get right. I got to throw strikes now and I got to be me. That's a lot of yeah, pressure but, on yourself Yeah, because you were a guy and you're going <laughs> and you're, you're ready to beat it. You're not like a, you're not like the middle reliever who just happens to be left-handed. So you get, you know, you get a 20 year career out of it. You were <laughs> skyrocketing and, yeah. and people were looking at you. So are you at that time with the Mariners thinking, Let's go, Chad. Let's let's be right. Let's be that yep. guy. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, I I think I spent a lot of pressure on myself at that time, you know, because like you said, I I was that guy, like a guy that you know, just two years prior for the most part. Yeah, three years prior, and so I still felt like I could do that. Um, and I wanted to get back there. I was doing everything I could to get back there, and I felt really good. Unfortunately, you know, my arm just wasn't the same. Um, I didn't have that same zip, and I didn't have my location was off. Um, and that's what I relied on, you know, as a guy who throw, who doesn't throw that hard, you have to make sure you hit your spots. And I mm-hmm. just wasn't able to do that. So, because I had to pretty much relearn how to throw and I had, and coming back, I, I hadn't really found my, my arm slot yet. Oh, that's so weird. Yeah. So then you, you know, you spend like three years bouncing, you're like in Vegas and Salt Lake and, yeah. and I, you know, you got all crazy in 2013 and you thought, well, I'll, I want to do this one more time with the angels of all people. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's uh, those couple years were. I mean, what was that like bouncing around? It was it was tough because I, like the off season after making it back up to uh, with the Mariners, I, I felt like I, w- I was in a good place. I felt like I was back because even after I got released um, by the Mariners, I had I'd been picked up by the Mets. I finished out the year in AAA in Buffalo with the Mets, and I was doing pretty well. I think I had a zero ERA, so I felt like I was back. I, my confidence was back. Um, my location was back. Everything I felt like was, was there that I needed to, to hopefully get a job for the next year and have a chance to make it to the big leagues um, out of spring training. But the off season of 2010, after the being back up the Mariners, is when my daughter passed away. So that really took it. So that took a huge toll on me. I mean, um, after, honestly, how, how did you come back at all? I, to be honest, I don't even know. Um, it was tough. I I think I had done it. I did it because it was something that kind of helped me grieve. I think it would have been tougher if I was at home, um, just kind of just reliving everything. And um, you know, like luckily my wife or my ex-wife, she was she was there with me at the time in, in with Toronto. Um, Riley, our oldest, she was she was there. So I think that really kind of helped. But I don't even know. You know, I was I was in a fog. I remember after it happened. Um, 
I didn't, I didn't realize, you know, what was going on, to be honest. Like I had no idea. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't throwing, wasn't playing catch, wasn't working out. I wasn't doing anything. And I was kind of surprised that the, that the Blue Jays even, you know, wanted me to come out. I was very, I was very grateful for, for the fact that they did, but I was kind of surprised. And, um, but I, I don't know, I don't know how I did it. It was, it was tough and, you know, it's, it still is tough to this day. Right. I mean, your, what, what happened with you? So I had already had three boys at the time. Only had three boys, had three <laughs> boys at the time. And I remember when it happened telling my wife, I go, yeah, like this is the situation. She goes, Oh yeah, that, that was something I was very much aware of. And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm a father of three. Why, why was I not aware of like sudden, de- you know, infant yeah. death syndrome? And she's like, well, you're not paying attention. I'm breastfeeding. Yeah. I'm doing diapers. I probably had mentioned it. Like, right. was that something even on your ra- radar when you had Riley? Like it's something yeah. that happens. Yep. We, we understood there was a possibility, but we did, we didn't know it was, we thought at the time was rare, which we find out it's really not that rare. Um, and but so I did we thought about it but we thought we were you know everything we didn't we didn't think it would happen to us sure and unfortunately it did you know and um it, it what makes it even worse is it happened at my parents house I, we weren't even there with her when it happened um and so I had felt bad for my parents because I remember the day that I still remember the day exactly, exactly what happened I remember um my wife she she was a former gymnast at Fullerton and so she had some, so she has, she still had some nagging injuries. So she had surgery on one of her ankles. And so it was right before Christmas. And so we were just like, okay, we're going to, we're going to, we'll drop off the kids with my parents. They can watch them. We can, we can, you can relax. We'll, fin- we'll finish up our Christmas shopping and then we'll go pick them up on Sunday. So I remember that day with my parents both knew that they were dropping them off. My dad um, was supposed to go, um, I think he was supposed to go to a funeral that day for, for, for one of my teammates at Fullerton for his mom. And he canceled because he knew we were bringing the kids over. So he didn't end up going. And he was ranting and raving about this new app on the phone about um, CPR. Not knowing that he was going to have to do it that night. So he was, so we dropped him off. We said our goodbyes. And then that night, my mom found, my, my mom found Taya. And so my dad was having the, to use that app that he, that he would just rant and raving about in the morning to us on, on, our, on our daughter. So it was, and it was tough. Um, you know, it's, it was very hard for, 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 on them. It was very hard on us for, for a very long time. And, but we, we all forgave them. We, you know, we don't blame them for anything, you know, because it wasn't their fault. But right. SIDS is just something that it happens, you know, they're still, they have kind of a, an idea of what it is now, but they still don't know for sure. Yeah. Like in my research for it, like, you know, there's, they say these things will help lessen the percentage, mm-hmm. but they said it, there's no guarantee. It's something you right. have to be aware of. And it's like, Holy yeah, crap. And, there, and there's nothing, there's no way to test for it. You have no idea. And the, and the thinking is now it's, it's like the, I think it's the infant serotonin levels aren't, aren't the same as, as on normal babies mm-hmm. or on healthy, on healthy babies, but there's really no, no, no way of testing it. So, um, and that, cause the serotonin, they, they acts as like an inner, inner, uh, alarm clock for the baby. It tells the babies to work to wake up. And unfortunately the ones for SIDS from what they're thinking is, um, what happens is they, their body doesn't tell them to wake up and they just continue sleeping and they, their breathing gets, um, tougher and tougher. Right. Right. So, so, I mean, in that period of time for you, was it an escape for baseball or was it an anchor, like just dragging you down? Cause you're trying to, you want to be with the family and grieve and you've mm-hmm. got baseball coming. 
I, I thought, I think at the, at the time I thought it was something that, that helped me out, but looking back, I, it, it might have, it probably wasn't the best decision. Um, I could have made it probably, you know, could it, it would have been a lot, I think easier if I would have just stayed home. Um, but you know, my family and uh, Jamie, and then they all, they all said, no, go do it. Like this, it'll, it'll help. And right. uh, like I said, I thought, I thought it, I, we all thought it, it did, but I think, you know, it would have been a lot better if I, if I had stayed home. Hindsight, you know, you know, you yeah. don't know. You stay home. Yeah. If you did the other way, you stay home. And everybody said, "Get this lump out of here." He's driving us yeah. nuts. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you finally said, "Okay," in thirteen, like this is it. I'm mm-hmm. done. What did that feel like? <laughs> and it's weird because I'm saying this. And I'm looking at statistically your numbers. You're 31 years old. Yeah, you're you're you're. That's so young. <laughs> yep it was you know it was I, I was at peace for it you know I, I, I knew um after after being out of out of the game for about a year and a half after Taya passed away um I just wanted to give one more shot just kind of see if I had it and I thought I you know I and I was very happy with 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 how I did that year and so looking back I will never I will never be angry I will never um be upset about what happened or me not getting another job after that I was I was at peace you know I, w- I went out there and played, gave it gave it all I had for for one more year um, Riley was able to see me play for a little bit. Um, so, so she was still kind of young to where she doesn't really remember anything, <laughs> but she was able to, to see, to see me play. And I think that's what really, that's what really mattered to me was my kids were actually able to see me play. Cause before that they weren't able to see me play. Right. Yeah. You were just some blob on a TV. No one knew who you were. <laughs> yep. I, that was my first year with the angels. And I remember you were with the inland empire 66ers and i'm like we gotta go do a story on this guy it'll be great oh yeah because i didn't do spring training so i missed you and mm-hmm. and uh, my first day was on a flight to cincinnati and i was just like oh you know i gotta keep track of him that'd be great if he comes up it'll be fantastic mm-hmm. and you were gone in six games <laughs> shit yeah i was gonna have a slurpee with him <laughs> a slurpee a joke hole and a hot dog <laughs> So where do you find yourself at that point? You're 31 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what are you doing? What's your, what's your plan? I, at the time I, I didn't know. I was kind of enjoying, enjoying actual retirement. Cause before when I was a year, a year and a half, I was enjoying, I, I enjoyed myself. I had gone back to DC, um, throughout the first pitch of one of the games. I did a clinic clinic out there, but I didn't feel like actually was, I was actually retired. Um, and so after, after 2013, I was like, you know what, I'm going to enjoy myself for a little bit. You know, be be there with the family. Be the, you know, um, take my kids to, to drop them off at school in the morning and, um, and enjoy just you know being a dad. And that's what and that's what I did. Was that was that? Did it come natural? Being oh, like yeah. Mister Mom all of a sudden. <laughs> I loved it. Did you? I absolutely loved it. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, that's good. That's yep. good. Oh, I loved it. So, where did you find then the idea? Is it with Riley, like to coach? <laughs> um how did i hooky approached me actually about it because i remember it was a 2014 um santa margarita was playing in the championship game for high school and they're playing at dodger stadium so i was like i'm gonna go i'm gonna go down there and watch and so i went i took i took my kids down there watched took my i think my brother went with me and we watched the game and hooky was there and so i saw him he was like what are you doing i was like nothing and he was like you should come out and um be our undergrad i was like all right so i thought about it and i really didn't want to go back to school but i was like you know what this is a a good opportunity so um i came in i was it spring of 2015 and and began my coaching career and i loved it was was it 
a natural fit? Did you feel like you had coaching ability? Like, cause you know, you're not the biggest blabber in the world. <laughs> so like, did you find it natural? Like when to step in, when pull someone aside? <laughs> it, it took, it took a little bit of time, but luckily, luckily I had Dietrich there with me. Okay. And Dietrich was a huge, huge help. Um, as far as coaching goes, awesome person, very knowledgeable. And he was something that, or, a uh, you know, something that I could look up to and talk to. Um, so he helped me out a lot. I mean, he, he, they had me down the bullpen the whole time and that's where I, that's what I love to be. I love the bullpen anyways. So I was a bullpen coach. Um, and they, you know, it took, it, like I said, it took, it took some time to get used to it, but cause I had to remind myself I wasn't going the game. So I remember the, the night before our very first game, I had a dream or actually I want to call it a nightmare because I remember I was coaching in the dream at Fullerton I was arguing with Dietrich in my dream or my nightmare that I wanted to go in. And he wouldn't let me. And like, we were cussing each other out in my nightmare. So I think that's when I realized, okay, you got to take, take a step back and realize you're not a player anymore. You're an actual coach and you can't play anymore. So, um, but yeah, like I remember it, I remember it, it I'm, I remember it vividly. Like it was a, in my dream, it was, I was in the bullpen. I was trying to jump over the fence and go in and Dietrich was having to hold me back and say, you're not allowed to go pitch. <laughs> That was it. Your stirrups were yep. torn off and you're just a coach. Yep, exactly. And I think that's I'm I'm not even joking. That's when I realized, okay, you know what, Chad, you're not a you're not a playing player anymore. Like those those days are done. You're just literally just a coach. You're here to help out the kids. That's when like the movie script, they take the page and they turn it <laughs> and they go, next chapter. Yep. Yep. Putting through my through my cleats in the in the trash and all right, give me give me my coaching shoes. <laughs> Let me pull. Let me pull my my. Let me put my pants up to the coaching mids like Cookie and uh, Horton used to wear. Pull them up high. Yep, and I'll gain about thirty pounds. Oh. <laughs> but you still had a flat brim. Oh, of course, that'll never go away. Where did that come from? From who was? I think it was from Smitty. It's from John Smith. I saw because in high school, everybody thought I had a flat brim in high school, and I didn't. I had mine was curved, and it was. I'm ashamed to say it was curved, um, but. I remember uh, my my first couple of weeks at Fullerton, and I, I saw how Smitty was wearing it. He kind of had he was his was kind of like turned to the side a little bit, but it was flat, and I loved I loved how it looked. Well, he's um, left-handed; he's a little goofy. Yeah, exactly. But I kind of liked how that was, so <laughs> I, I wanted to be just like him. So I got the hat, and I did the same thing. The only, the only change I did was I pulled it over my bushy eyebrows. <laughs> I know that, by the way, that made it difficult doing those portrait shoots with you when your goddamn hat was basically riding on your eyeballs. Now we've dodged that, but we're going to go back in the time machine. So we're doing posters in 2003 and we do one with Costa. We're going to do one with you. We're going to do one with who else was it? Was it Wes? I think. Yeah, but it was but he was he was best of the West. I yeah, think. he was the map. Um, yeah, Shane I mean, was the Shane smoking the bat. bat. Yeah, yep. and you you was the most <laughs> elaborate one because we had artists who drew. You know, we had to paint up all the players, and we had Texas and USC, and we had all these guys all drawn well, up. Weeks. And I had my thousand dollar lawn mower that worked, and we bring out, we dug a hole, you know, and. I'm I'm guessing this was probably your first photo shoot. It wasn't, you know. It definitely was. Yeah, I, I didn't think yep. I'd seen you on Vogue or anything before. <laughs> and all I wanted you to do was look angry and mean, 
which is what I saw when you were on the bump. On the, between those chalk, you were an SOB. And you <laughs> looked like the sweetest pussycat pushing a lawnmower. Yep. I could not get you to. And I, I remember all I could do was laugh. I would try to be mean and I just couldn't stop laughing. Oh my I God. I just have this like this little smirk on my face and I couldn't do it. My, it was Mike Greenlee. Uh, Ryan was the SID, but it was the first yep. time Mike Greenlee and I worked together. And he's like, I have never seen you work so hard with the subject <laughs> in my life. <laughs> and I was saying horrible things about you. Horrible. Yep. And fan- I couldn't, couldn't you, get mad. Nothing. You just patted me on the back and I got down on the ground and kept shooting more pictures and mm-hmm. good. But that, but, that goes, but that goes back to my personality. Like that's a perfect example. Like when I'm off the field, I am the nicest guy you'll ever meet ever. But when I'm on the field, like, I don't know what it is about me. That's where I cannot recreate that. Like anywhere else. You're the Hulk. <laughs> you're the yeah. Hulk. Like yeah. there's that. I mean that when you wagged your finger at ASU, <laughs> it you pull you used your index, but it might as well have been a giant, massive yep. middle finger. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I remember. I, I think I did it to Pedroia. I think it was. Oh yeah. yeah. Sure. Of course. Who else oh, yeah. would you have done it to? You would have done it to the ninth, you know, guy in the batter's spot, and he was a, they nope. count it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it was interesting how that metamorphosis for you, you know, somehow start. And of course, it doesn't happen during the national anthem. It happened like in the eighth inning because After, yep. you would be bullshitting eating seeds in the fifth, sixth, and then you might wander uh, was, down to the bullpen. It was the seeds. It was either a hot dog, a Western bacon cheeseburger. <laughs> Or a big old box of Twinkies. I was trying to make you look healthy. <laughs> oh, no. Just, just flat out say it, Chad. You're a fat. <laughs> I've never seen someone devour Twinkies like they were sunflowers. <laughs> they were good. So are, are you enjoying coaching? I am. I, I love it. It's, it's um, I don't coach my kids. I help them out, um, you know, up off the field and stuff, but I don't coach my kids at all. Cause I don't like that. Um, but I enjoy coaching. I think it's anytime me having a chance to get back and hopefully get kids to where, um, the, where I was. And if not to get back to where I was at the, at the, get them to the, to the level that they, that they're, um, that they want to, uh, get to. I love that. And I'll, and I will do anything I can to help a kid. Um, I've, you know, been coaching for quite a number of years and last couple of years been coaching softball, um, yeah, I okay. Love okay. Side of it. Explain how you get to that. I mean, we're not talking beer league, and you're coaching forty-year-old men. Right. <laughs> this is girls softball. Yeah. How does yeah. how does an all-star <laughs> major league baseball player get there? Well, I was I was coaching baseball at the time, and uh, my ex so she she was coaching softball, and so she was like, "Why don't you come out and try it?" I was like, "Okay, I'll, I'll help you out whenever I can." So I went over there. She's a gymnast. I, what the hell is she doing? No, doing? Uh, no, my 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 recent ex. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, she, yeah, she played she played at UCLA. Um, so yeah, no, you're good. No, so she played she played she played softball at UCLA. It was an all American over there. Um, yes, that was so, probably the that was the last time I saw you. Yeah, was at a Fullerton yeah. UCLA game. Yep. And, um, and so she, she, she was like, why don't you come try, try coaching softball? I was like, okay, I'll do it. Um, never thinking that I was, it was going to pull me in the way it did. But the minute I, I got to coach softball, I was like, this is, 
old school. This is like old school baseball. This is what Fullerton used to be like. It was the pitching and defense. It was a bunting. It was hit and runs. It was stealing. Not waiting for around for a three-run home run. That's never going to come. And I love that. I love the National League style of baseball, and that's what to me that's what softball is. And I and I love I love the the, the pace of the game, how quick it is, because um, there's always something going on. And plus, like the, the girls, like they get after it. You know, they they're there for a reason. They you know they they also understand there's not a whole lot of, a whole lot of opportunities, unfortunately, for them after um, after college. There is a, a pro league now, um, but there's not a whole lot of girls who have a chance to play for it. So. They get after it because they know that's their time to that's their time to shine, and they're doing everything they can to um, to set them up to get to get a scholarship and, and and go to school and help their to help their parents pay for school. Wow! I mean, you really took to it. I did. I loved it. And now it's taking me all the way to Hawaii. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> explain that. Like, did you ever think that was something you would do? No, I honestly. Even when the opportunity came up, it, I didn't really like any even really think anything of it. Um, and it happened over the summer. So we were hosting. Um, so between our two teams that that, we, that Mike and I um, had, were coaching, um, we had an eighteen U team, which I was a head coach for. And we had a sixteen U team, which she was a head coach for. And we ho- and we had eleven girls from Hawaii between the two teams, and we hosted them all summer. Um, they stayed with us. We took we were taking the field every day, taking the warm up or to work out, to gym, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and one of the girls had, had just kind of in passing had mentioned, Hey, coach Chad, you should be my high school coach. I was like, yeah, I can't do that. But she kept saying it throughout the whole summer. And I was like, the more she said, I was like, it's actually not a bad idea. And I talked to some people, they're like, no, like you should really do it. Um, and so I talked to a couple of people that I know from Hawaii, uh, who were involved in softball. I talked to my family about it and they were like, no, you should do it. So I applied for it. Not, they still not thinking that I'm, that I'm going to get the job. And I got the job. Wow. And so they offered me the job. They, they flew me out to, um, to Hawaii to go meet with them and set me up on, at a, on a hotel on the beach. And I was sold. Jesus. I mean, <laughs> that is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's the, the school is great. The, the, the former head coach was another former big leader, uh, Benny Agbayani. He played for the Mets. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so he so he was an old coach, um, and he uh, he 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 stepped down after this, after this past season, um, and because uh, his daughter, both of his daughters had, had just had graduated. Um, his oldest one, his oldest one is at Cal right now playing, and I want to say the one that just graduated is at BYU, I think. So he stepped down, and that's what opened up this opportunity. And so, um, you know, I applied for it, I got the job, and I made the move out there about a month ago. Jesus. <laughs> That ain't Chino, my friend. That is not no, Chino. No, it's, it's definitely not. There's, there's no beaches out over here in Chino. <laughs> so is that the big island? No, I'm, well, I'm on, on Oahu. Oahu, okay. So, All right. Yeah, so um, so I live I live in Honolulu. I live about a half mile away from Waikiki Beach. Okay. Because um, that's, that's where the school was. And so the school, it's a, it's a big-time uh, private school in, in, in Honolulu. It's called Iolani. Um, it's been around for over a hundred years and it's one of the, one of their better schools in, in the state. And I think throughout the whole country too. Um, and so they actually own a few apartment complexes over there. So they set me up with an apartment across the street from the, from the school and, um, moved out there, live, live out there in a one bedroom apartment. And I, and I love it. I go to the beach every day. I, and it's, it's peaceful. I can, you know, I can go to get to the beach around nine o'clock in the morning, stay there until about, about one or two. And then. Come back, take a quick shower, head over to the school, uh, work out with uh, with the girls, and then 
Um, after that, I'll go, I'll go work at some cages and then I'll come back, eat, eat dinner, fall asleep, wake up and do the same thing over again. Oh my God. You're living the dream. You yep. son and of so, a gun. And then when I, when I go back to, uh, when I go, so I'm in, I'm in, I'm in Chino right now at my parents' house. So, um, when I go back after the weekend, I'll, I'll take my, my, my paddleboard out there with me and I'll, I'll take a paddleboarding again. Wait, wait what? Paddleboarding? <laughs> oh yeah. Look at you. My God, <laughs> oh, yeah. you're an athlete. <laughs> I'm getting going snorkeling now. No. Oh yeah. <laughs> I barely know you. My God, that's great. Are yeah, you happy? So it, it, I love it out there. It's 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 been it's been amazing. Um, it's you know it's it's kind of gotten me back to where I need to be. Um, and then like I said, my 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 parents are supportive of it. My kids are supportive of it. Um, I come I come home every other weekend to hang out with the kids um, and stuff, and so and, and their mom is very supportive of it. So I couldn't have asked for a better situation. That's good. That's yeah. good. Okay, so the real question's this: Have you ever, as you rest your head on your pillow and you go to bed at <laughs> night, have you ever wondered what your spin rate was? <laughs> It's no. all about the spin rate now. It is. It is. I've had a few people mention to me that they, they were like, <laughs> you probably had a really good one because of how, 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 for whatever reason, how hitters could not hit your fastball. But I was like, I've never thought about that before. All I knew was I, I threw an invisible. That's, that's all I cared about. <laughs> is it crazy to think like now what everybody's looking at now? Like before it was Chad throws, Chad hits the zone, pounds the zone, mm-hmm. Chad, Chad good. Now right. it's like, well, well, this is what we're looking at. Like all yeah. these just crazy numbers. It, it, you know what? It, it's kind of taking me a little bit of time to get used to it. Um, but you know what? I, I think it's working out there. You know, it's, it's, you kind of have to be able to fit to, to pair, you know, the analytics and then with old school, old school style of, uh, of coaching. But, mm-hmm. you know, but, but I think, you know, the, um, the more, information you can have on a pitcher or on your mechanics and all that the better off it's going to be yeah it's crazy it is yeah. absolutely crazy. when you uh, when you look at baseball now if you're watching any part of the world series or anything do you look at it from a fan standpoint or are you looking at it from still professional baseball player standpoint oh no i am when i'm watching now, i'm just a fan i don't even i don't look at it through with you know with coach's glasses on i'm looking at it as a straight fan Okay, because did you see the game? Uh, I think it's game five. Whenever the Dodgers lost, or maybe it was game four. Oh yeah, when I was at the beach. Yeah, and 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 you see Horton behind home plate in the rain <laughs> with a pizza box on his head. If you look at him, he mm-hmm. can't do what you do. He was looking like he was going to reach over, grab his giant big gulp container, of yep. di- like he was coaching. Yep. He was the only one in that stadium not enjoying himself. Mm-hmm. But, but, but that's how he enjoys himself, though, is, is by doing that kind of stuff. And he's always like that. I don't, I don't, think, I don't think he can ever get away from that, even when he's coaching his, you know, his, his granddaughter uh, softball. Um, he's, always, he, he's always in coach mode, and that, that's just how, how George is, and I love him for that. And that's what makes him the type of coach that he was. What was, what was it like for three years you know, having him as your head coach. It was by far the funnest time I've had. Um, him, him, Serrano and Hookie, they, they worked so well together. I mean, they knew how they, they balanced each other when um, the right way. They knew when, you know, when to get on us. Um, they knew when to not get on us. And it was just, I mean, they, they joked around with us too, which I think, which 
helped us, I think, play the way the way we did was we were always relaxed. Um, you know, he, the, he Horton never put any pressure on us. He knew that we were capable of, of you know, of, of doing well. And he didn't yell at us just for the sake of yelling at us. When he yelled at us, we knew we messed up. And we, whatever we did, we corrected it and we went on. But Horton, I love Horton to death. He's, I still talk to him this day and he's, uh, he's one of the greatest mentors I think I've ever been around. Yeah. Uh, George is the best, the best. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I loved when I had to, my camera to work with him. It was fantastic. <laughs> Uh, what was what was Dave like as a pitching coach for you? He was very similar to George. Um, you know, he didn't he didn't try to he didn't try to make everybody into a robot. Like he didn't try to make everybody throw exactly the same. He 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 watched you and he observed what you, what you're able to do, and then he fixed what he, whatever he needed to be fixed. He didn't try to make us all look the same way. Like like some schools, like Stanford, Stanford, all their pitchers looked exactly the same. Yeah, USC, their pitchers looked exactly the same. Fullerton, we didn't. We all had very good changeups, and because he and he was very good at teaching us that. But our mechanics wise, we we're we we're all different. I mean, if you look at my foot, my foot pointed directly to to the, to the first base dugout, which you're not supposed to do. But he let me do it because that's what because that's what worked. And so I think that's what made what made him be such a good pitching coach was he let us do what he recruited us to do, and then he fixed us when he needed to fix us. That's all you could hope for, right? Out of a coach. Yep. yep. I'm happy, my friend, that you're happy. It, it, it uh, brings a smile to my face, and I'm sure you're going to be as brown as mahogany wood working at paddleboarding oh, around the beach. I'm pretty much there right now. In fact, I'm pretty sure my left arm is peeling right now. <laughs> Jesus. It's November, and you've got a deep tan. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I, I go to the beach. So I give me a poke bowl from this place called Kamoko Seafood in Honolulu. Eat it there. I pop. I, I roll up in, my, in the car park right next to the beach, get my chair out, pop it on, on the right there by the beach. And I'm there all day. Chad Cordero, seven years in major league baseball, 314 <laughs> games, 128 saves. Does that sound weird? It does sound weird. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize it was, I didn't realize how many games I've been in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, and, and, and I've never heard anybody in a podcast say this as much, but I didn't think that was going to happen. <laughs> like that's your life story yeah like it's yep. unbelievable <laughs> well chad i can't thank you enough for taking the time yeah, of course go back inside with mom and dad spend some time with them before you bolt off to paradise <laughs> yep i will you're the best chad i, I appreciate <laughs> your time my friend I don't, no problem man i'll talk to you soon man all right take care bye-bye Bye. thank you for listening to my conversation with chad codero If you enjoyed this episode, please click the like button and become a subscriber to the podcast. Remember, you can follow the Just a Good Conversation podcast on Instagram, and you can find all of our past shows on the website at justagoodconversation.com. Thank you for listening.